Hey, Eric, what's up, man? You can unmute yourself. Does that work now? Yep, there you go. Rav, how are you? I'm good, man. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks. I have to say, does, by does the this way, sound pretty well? Yep, yep, this is good. Good. Am I? Am I good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. I just have to say, by the this thought just popped in my head. Like, I think you have an incredibly soothing and interesting and uh, very powerful voice all at the same time. <laughs> oh wow! You Thank have a really so good voice. That's, yeah. That's a really good way to start this. I appreciate it. And yeah. you can hear my voice getting lower as you say that. Yeah. Like you, you could be a really good like audiobook uh, orator or just like a lecturer or like a professor, anything that requires a lot of talking because your voice is really powerful. Awesome. Well, thank you. I actually, that article that I wrote for you, I actually have already read it in the form of an audiobook and I actually really liked it. It was about 40 minutes long and uh, mm. yeah, I, I, I really liked the sound of it. So, but I appreciate that. The confidence is always helpful. Yeah. Although, I mean, you can't really take any credit for that. I mean, <laughs> how much did you That's do to true. actually shape your voice? That's just genetic lottery for... That's true. That's my parents. That's my parents 1000%. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So your your sexy voice, if we if we can use that word, that's no, no, no credit to your own. Yeah, yeah. I mean, unless I mean, uh, unless all those psychedelics did something for your voice, I don't know. You know, I did teach myself how to sing, and that did change the way that I that I uh, changed the way that my voice sounds. I, I definitely moved my voice a little lower into my chest by learning how to sing. Um, mm. I'm not actually taking any credit for my voice, uh, if it isn't in, in fact nice, but, uh, that is one thing that, that, that may have contributed. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. Uh, well, just to kind of start this, um, for people listening, uh, Eric is the video producer for, uh, Jordan Peterson's podcast. He works closely with Jordan. He's a super hard worker, super busy, always working on, so many different projects, especially for Jordan Peterson's team. And we first met last year, uh, only ever virtually, but last year first on Michaela Peterson's podcast when we were recording mm -hmm. that. And then next, uh, Jordan's podcast in March of last year. And recently we really connected over psychedelics. We've had a, a few like two hour, three hour late night phone call conversations yep. um, as I've started to just begin my uh, psychedelic journey um, over the past few months. And I don't know how we started talking about it. I wonder, I, I think it might've been that we, uh, because we posted uh, my podcast with Peterson um, this year, a couple months ago now, I think, I think at some point there, we, something about psychedelics came up and then you were just, giving this like golden wisdom about psychedelics. I was like, Oh wow. Like this guy really knows. And turns out you've done, I mean, umpteen, umpteen trips, right? You, you've yeah, done several, yeah. several, several dozen trips, right? Maybe even too much. I don't know, but you've done a lot. So as we were uh, having um, a few very interesting long form phone conversations, I was just thinking like, we should be recording this because this is really interesting. And I think, a lot of people would like to hear your insights because you're, you're not, you're not the ordinary psychedelic user. Like you're very, very intelligent 
Um, and you know a lot about religion and about myths. Um, and I think um, it's important to have that kind of underlying intellectual framework when going into psychedelics. That just makes it all the more interesting when you can connect it to to different religions, different belief systems and spirituality and philosophy and things like that. So that's why I wanted to have you on. So, um, yeah, so we're here. Good to have you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for the invitation. Um, yeah, it was actually, we started talking about religion because you, as you continued to journey into psychedelics, um, you started bringing up these Eastern philosophies and, and we started talking about um, how the Western religions and the Eastern religions do have some overlap and where they kind of divert. Um, and that led into a conversation about ultra conscious experiences in general, which I think that the psychedelics are one type of ultra conscious experience. Um, and that's really where our, our conversations I feel like took off. Um, and they've been, they've been very, very good. And one thing that I really appreciate from you, not only, um, you know, you recently asked me to write an article for your Substack and asking me on some podcasts. Um, but you also, you've asked me to journey back. Um, you know, you didn't actually ask me to do this, but you, by default, you asked me to journey back through my experiences. And I have, man, I feel like I almost have had more insight within the last couple weeks, um, especially as I wrote that article, um, more insight than I've had in, in many, many years, probably since I, I last was really taking psychedelics. So I wanted to thank you for that and, and say that uh, it's interesting how long the lasting impacts of psychedelic use is. Um, and especially, you know, like kind of like you mentioned, when you're speaking, when you're speaking about psychedelics in a way that is intellectual, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that use psychedelics for fun. And there's a lot of people that use psychedelics for partying or, you know, other social gatherings. Um, and I don't think that that's morally wrong. And I don't think it's necessarily wrong at all. I think they're one of the safest substances that you can, you can take both physically and, and mentally. But, um, at the same time, there's a whole other area of psychedelics, which is, you know, really what you've been diving into. And I've been really proud as getting to know you, the um, courage with which you've, you've delved in. So. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm glad I could help out that way. To totally inadvertently to kind of journey back into your own experiences. I was just really curious about this area. And I think um, you, you mentioned we started talking about religion. I don't know how we started doing that, but I, I think I remember at some point initially talking about like my Substack, and we were going to promote it at the beginning of the podcast. And mm -hmm, specifically, mm -hmm. I promoted that MDMA article. Maybe that's kind of what, what got the ball rolling for that. I don't know. Yeah, I think so. I think so. But yeah, um, yeah. but yeah, I'm, I'm glad you've been going back to it. Um, sorry, you know, you're go you're kind of going back into it, whereas I'm just starting it experientially so we're both at very mm -hmm. like starkly different places and we're i guess we're kind of helping each other too i mean i'm uh, you know you're definitely helping me so much with uh before i did my uh, lsd trip and i think before my second mdma trip we had some interesting conversations that prepped me for that and also during my 
last LSU, right, right, which, which right. I haven't, which I haven't written about, and probably won't write about for a long time till things make more sense on that. Um, mm-hmm. It's yeah, that that was a very complicated situation, and there's a lot of um, clash between like psychology and and underlying physiology for me that I can't seem to parse out yet, um, but. The, the, the bottom line lesson from that, at least right now, is don't do LSD if you have digestive issues like I do. <laughs> I, I think that's the only lesson I've gotten so far from it. It's still complicated to me what happened. But you turned out to be a uh, a mysterious and uh, kind of fortuitous savior in that experience. Because you we had a conversation, I think, just like two nights before. I yep. think it was like a four-hour conversation or something or something crazy. Yep, yep. And you were telling me all about your LSD trips, <laughs> like just crazy, like the craziest shit ever. Like that was like one of the most profound conversations I've ever had over phone. You you were telling wow. me about connect, connecting with trees, swimming in water, and like mimicking the movement and the, the dynamism of uh, sea creatures um, having like some of these hell experiences, <laughs> uh, lo- looking looking at an ant. Sorry if I'm repeating this, whatever, but I think no, no, cool. no, that's good. But, <laughs> you know, looking at an ant, I think in a subway or something and realizing that while you're in on the surface, totally different from it, you are actually one, which is kind of the, the Brahmin idea within Hinduism about the, mm-hmm. there being this underlying unity within the universe, <laughs> something that I'm exploring right now. But anyway, we had that conversation and right at the end, you said, like, hey, Rav, if you ever need anything, like, during your trip, um, you know, feel free to just call me if, if you're needing somebody to talk to. And and I was like, yeah, probably not. That'd be kind of weird to do that. But, you know, <laughs> pr- appreciate the offer. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then I'm in my trip, and it's, like, three hours in. I'm I'm literally in hell in many ways. And I'm, like, and I'm just, like, crying and bawling, and it's not fun. <laughs> And and my guide is with me. She's sort of like, you know, what's going on? And um, I was like, I, you know, I really want to call Eric right now. I, I really want to do that. And I, I called you. And that was like, yep. that was the only like familiar human thing to me at that time. Like that was, I was like holding on to, um, I don't know what the analogy would be, but like trying to grasp for straws. Like that was just like kind of like a life jacket type of thing, mm. talking to you and hearing your voice. And it's funny now. I'm laughing right now, but I was not laughing then, as you know. No, and you were not. And, no, <laughs> and I called you up, and I'm like, "Hey, Eric, um, I'm in hell right now." What's yeah, <laughs> yep, <laughs> yep, exactly. This is literally exactly what you said. Uh, so I'm in hell right now. Wait, I, I actually what's, said that. What's What's up? Yeah, I yeah. That. I mean, it was it was really? along that general sentiment. Okay. It was so okay. It was so at once like so serious and also so like <laughs> just casual because you're like, oh, I don't want to seem like I'm totally a yeah. loser or something so what's yeah. up man you know <laughs> oh it was god great. it was great yeah, i actually i felt really good yeah. when you you well, i saw your your because oh. i knew you were going through it right so i like set my phone on on ring and everything i set set all my stuff aside so that i could be there just in case you know and when you called out I, I actually felt like this weird ra- wave of relief because i was like you know and and this is something that i've been exploring as i've been going back through this to be able to help in one of those situations, I've been in that same hell or a similar hell 
multiple times, but made it through. And to be able to be that advisor role to to say, hey, I've, I've made it through something like this, you can too, actually like retroactively has removed some of my pain from the experiences, removed some of the quote unquote trauma from those experiences because it gives wow. it meaning, right? It gives it this, it gives it a real meaning. You know, it's, it's meaningful to someone else. And so to me, it's like, oh, I can release some of this now. Like, even if it's just totally a mind trick or whether it's some kind of karmic universe thing, to me, it's almost like I'm able to let some of that go because it, the reason it happened, part of the reason it happened is right now in this moment where I can help someone else through it. Mm. Mm. So it's a weird relief for me. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's super profound. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. Like you, you were helping me in that moment and you know, that's, and yeah, yeah, that would be extremely gratifying. Cause like you've been there, you've been in that hell and now I'm in that hell and mm-hmm. you're, you're, be, you're being there for me. Um, I don't know if you can remember what you said. I, I didn't even plan on talking about this by the way. And it's, Somewhat uncomfortable, but it's super funny sure. at the same time. But um, sure. what, what did you even say? Do you remember what was was going on? It's still kind of fuzzy in my memory. Yeah. Well, so what I would say is I actually I actually do think that it's very interesting for us to go into this. Um, and I can start talking. And if I, if I start to give out any information that you don't want to be public, just tell me to stop. <laughs> and I'll stop right there. But sure. Um, no worries. Yeah, essentially, you called... And you said that general sentiment of like, I'm in hell, what's up? And I was like, oh, okay, well, <laughs> what's, what's going on? And, and you just kept repeating that there was this, this big, like heavy, fiery pain in your chest. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to me at that time, we've, we had talked before, we had talked about un- unraveling trauma and trying to use that psychedelic kind of exterior perspective to dive deeper into the trauma, especially like the physical traumas, the things that are maybe they, they're mental traumas, but they manifest themselves physically that we were trying to unwrap that, you know? So I was saying like, Hey, you know, LSD is one of the safest things that you can take, especially like physically for your body. There's debate about mentally, but I I think that there's not enough evidence to suggest that, you know, it's not going to give anybody schizophrenia, for example, it may trigger it like, like marijuana does it, it may trigger it um, if you have it latent within you. So I was trying to explain to you, like, the right. amount of substance that you actually took, although yeah. it has taken over your entire mind right now, and, it, and it's really changed your entire existence, so to speak, all of the senses that you're, you're, you're feeling right now are influenced by the LSD, the amount of actual chemical that you've taken in is basically imperceptible. Even if you've taken a huge dose, it's, it's so little. And it's not to say that if something were poisonous, that a tiny, tiny microscopic dose wouldn't really do some serious damage. I mean, we know of spiders, we know of snakes and, and things like that, that could potentially do that, but that's just not the case with LSD. And so I was trying to explain to you, and, and, and as your, your guide was also trying to help me through explaining to you, you know, cause she's there in person and she's like looking at you on the floor. I hear you from the other side of the phone and it's, you know, kind of like normal rap conversation a little bit. Um, but for her, she's, she's, 
you know, she is actually even a little concerned because it seemed like you had been in this pain for a very long time. So it's trying to explain to you like, Hey, I think the LSD is probably just trying to show you something. So like, what, what is it that this, so, this so, 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 to you? So, sorry, one second. You, you were saying she was concerned. I think she was, she had yeah. concern in her voice. Not that you were in danger, but just, yeah. she didn't really know what was going on. And, and it yeah. seemed like that maybe you had been there for a very long time that you were, kind of on the yeah. ground and in pain and, and so to yeah. speak in hell for a very long time. Um, yeah. So, you know, she was definitely relieved because I made some progress with you on kind of trying to pull you out of that state. Yeah. And, and before you go on too, like it's worth highlighting that hell that I was in was not like typical LSD hell that you've seen described right. by many, many people. Like my hell was, like it was not psychologically as much hell as it was. It was physically hell, which is really bizarre. I've never really heard that. Have you? I don't know if you've heard that before, but for me, it was uniquely physical in my chest, which I've had pain there for um, a very long time. Like just heart palpitations, just tightness, and it's. I'm again. I, I mentioned this earlier. I'm still parsing out like the physiology from the psychology of it. Yeah. Um, although the more and more I, I look into it, it seems to be that they're they're very connected. And I've interviewed Dr. David Clark on this podcast a couple times already. He's an expert in um, psychosomatic pain, and mm -hmm. I've in my conversations with him privately, um, and also what he's broadly said on on the podcast with his experience with um, with patients who have chronic pain, the the source for it for for many people dealing with um, pain that is not uh, obviously diagnosable or identifiable. And again, for the cases, me as well, as he was saying, the pain is largely generated by stress, especially from childhood. And so when I was talking to David, um, Dr. David Clark over the phone, he, he, he was saying that, that I grew up in a very fear oriented, always on alert, high vigilance, um, environment with, with parents with uh stuff at school and so he was actually saying he's like no wonder you've, you've been having all this chest pain and it's mm -hmm. also fucked up your digestion and you've been dealing with acid reflux um like we we know that there's all these connections between the brain and the gut that they're incredibly connected which i didn't know about yeah so a lot a lot of people dealing with a lot of digestion issues chronic digestion issues like in my case it could be coming from the brain not necessarily some physiological issue, even though it seems like it is. Um, so I, again, I'm still trying to figure out what, what exactly went on there and I'm making some progress, but, but yeah, I just wanted to bookmark that, that I did have underlying digestion issues and underlying kind of anxiety around the chest that was chronic. And so the, the first like two, three hours of the LSD trip were psychologically very challenging. I will say that mm -hmm. where maybe I'll briefly describe this. I was going into these loops of thinking over and over again. I would go into these loops and then I would get stuck there and I would start overthinking and really suffering and crying. And then I would like just, just snap, just snap right out of it and come in the present moment and be like, whoa, I'm totally fine. There's nothing mm -hmm. wrong with me. And mm -hmm. I just created all that suffering by thinking that much. Yes, so right, I, right, right. I, I did this probably like 10 or 20 times over and over again. They would get lost in thought again. And then something, I don't know, like just I would go into like my imagination 
And maybe like the LSD didn't want me to do that maybe or something like that. Like it wanted me to be in the present. And so I would go into like my imagination or something or start like overthinking about something in the past. And then I would start um, like, like maybe possibly this is a hypothesis that if you're like deliberately trying to like overthink or process things, maybe that goes against kind of the direction that the LSD is pulling you in. Maybe, maybe the LSD wants you to be more, uh, immersed in what's happening in the present possibly i don't know but that's kind of what was happening over and over again i would think uh, a lot overthink over ruminate and that would lead to this incredible suffering and then minutes later i would just come back to the present and be like wow mm-hmm. I'm, I'm totally chill there's nothing wrong to me so so that was like yep. the first th- that was the first like three hours where i where it was all very challenging but very productive and then somewhere after that then the chest pain came in so I, i'm not trying to like make sense of this right now because it's it just it, it frustrates me every time i try to make sense of it but anyway anyway go on were you going to say something well more well, actually, about, well yeah. and actually on that point it, the experience that i had from the other end of the phone was i was experiencing you going through those cycles as you're speaking it out loud to me and i don't know how long they seemed to you but it was very quick it was like we would get to a place because to back up for a second, the conversation that we had two days before, we were talking about you trying to learn how to stop overthinking, right? And we were tr- we were trying to work, or you were trying to work your way through a lot of this like chronic oh, yeah. thinking. It was one of the things that yeah. when you were going into the trip, that I was I was really warning you about to say you you're going to likely get stuck in parts of that. And, and, and the LSD will pull you into the present moment, even just from the overload of the senses, right? Because the way that psychedelics work in the brain is they're, they're removing filters. So you're getting in a lot more information and your brain is attempting to process a lot more sensory information than it does in your waking life. It's all stuff that, you know, isn't helpful in waking life, which is why you're most likely why your brain is not attempting to process it, right? When you're going through it, it's just saying, no, leave those, leave those patterns that I'm trying to find away because that's not actually going to help us. That pattern's not real enough uh, to be useful in waking life. And so your, your, your cycles were, you would get to a place where you'd be like, okay, I'm fine. Everything's fine. I'd be like, yeah, exactly, dude. Everything's fine. Your let your senses kind of wash over you, bring you back into the present moment. Take in you know all the colors that you see around you. Take in this the the sounds around you. And by the time I was done explaining that, you would already be back to. But I'm in hell right now, and I can feel hell in my chest. And I was like, Yeah, I know that's what it feels like. Uh, I'm sure that it's really painful. Um, but this, you know, br- come back to the present moment. And the, those cycles were about a minute each where it was one minute that you were, you were feeling really okay. Not like you were feeling great because you were still uncomfortable, but you weren't in hell and then back to hell and then back to, and mm-hmm. I, I found it interesting. We talked about music and we said, or you said like, yeah, there is a song that I could play. And I said, okay, go play that song. And I said, call me back when you're done with the song. And you said, I'll call you. I'm going to listen to music for a while. I'll call you back in like an hour. 
Yeah. And you ended up calling back, you know, like three hours later or something like that. And you said that that was really helpful, um, that the music was, was really, really helpful to take your mind off of it, which is what I was right. hypothesizing. And I was trying to, to get across to you at the time, like, hey, man, this is the stuff you were here to work on was getting trapped in these thought patterns, getting trapped in these circular, you know, stressors where you like focus in and then you dive deep, 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 deep down into them. And then they're causing these pains in your chest. Now, of course, I didn't know that you were actually suffering from some physical pain. There was a real digestion issue going on. Um, and I actually felt really bad about that when you said that later, because I was, you know, I wasn't saying that, no, you're for sure not having any real pain. But I was trying to suggest that, you know, this is probably mostly just due to the thought pattern that you're in. Um, but it seemed to be helpful regardless. I, I didn't feel too bad, but I, I did feel a little bad about that. Yeah, yeah. And it was very helpful. And like, yeah, it was very helpful when you said that LSD is one of the safest substances that we have something about like the, the world health organization that's right. <laughs> deems, yep. deems LSD safer than coffee. I think you said yep. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We, just we, about all the psychedelics actually are, are below yeah. caffeine on the world health organization danger scale, which takes into account a lot of things, right? So like alcohol yeah. is the highest on that list. One of the reasons is because uh, drunk driving. So, you know, your propensity to drink and drive and accidentally kill somebody while under the influence of alcohol um, is something that puts that really high up on the list. But psilocybin mushrooms are actually the lowest. It's on a scale of zero to a hundred. And I think alcohol was 71 and psilocybin mushrooms were five. And that's from, that's official world health organization. Um, that study came out, I think in 2011. And that's measuring what exactly like danger overall, overall danger factors, overall risk factors of, uh, of danger, including mental, physical, mm -hmm. societal, um, you know, your, your risk to others, stuff like that. Um, and I think right. marijuana was somewhere like 31. And I think that was the highest of the psychedelics, which marijuana is kind of borderline, but technically has psychedelic properties. Um, mm. And that I think was, I think that's above caffeine. I believe caffeine was a 26 in there on their index. But um, I think that was mostly due to the propensity to, uh, trigger schizophrenic events. That was something that went into that highly, which really is, I think only because so many more people use marijuana regularly. Right. So kind of like the drunk driving thing, it's like, well, alcohol itself isn't necessarily the, the thing that puts it at the highest in the, in this, in this index, it's the use of it and the, the commonplace use of it that causes it to be so high. And I think for marijuana, I think obviously marijuana is, relatively very very safe and most people have no problem using marijuana at any time in their life um but yet it's still up there because of the, that factor and probably the fact that you're ingesting you know smoked material that's that's going to put it up there i believe marijuana was still under tobacco though uh, by a significant margin mm, okay yeah that's all very interesting but yeah yeah when you so when you said that like I, I was really suffering and I thought I was having a heart attack, honestly. Mm -hmm. And then you, and then you were saying that repeatedly. And like I was saying at the beginning of this conversation, you have that very 
powerful, like sage-like wisdom filled voice. And you do have a lot of wisdom. And so when you were saying like, Rav, there's nothing wrong with you. Like, this is one of the safest things you can do that like that meant the world to me at the time, mm, you know, like, good. cause, cause I, cause I was in hell and I remember, and of course, you know, you, you were saying earlier, there's some, some kind of karmic dynamic going on in the universe. Like you were also in hell in your LSD trips. And you know, mm-hmm. that sort of gave you this meaning because you know, now you were able to help me, right? And, and maybe I'll help yep. the next person in the future. Yeah, right. So, right. And, and it's, it goes to say that that is universal. That's not, that's not even just psychedelics or just ultra conscious or just trauma. It's like any kind of thing that you go through and make it out the other side. I have found in my life, at least, like being able to, someone that you care about, to be able to, and maybe a humanity as a whole, right? If you care about humanity as a whole, if you're able to stop them from going into unnecessary suffering, especially if it's actual suffering, uh, I think I have found anyway that that's always been, you know, now looking back, it's like, oh man, that that's how I've released a lot of my, my pain. And I think I've, I've had a lot of pain in my life. And I think that's part of why my natural instinct has always been as an adult anyway, has always been to be like, try to be the wise advise role, which is what I've always kind of tried to do no matter what, who I'm talking to or what, what the age gap is or anything like that. Um, and it probably is a selfish thing, which is like, I just feel better if, if somebody else doesn't have to go through the same pain that, that I did. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. And just to close the loop on this, LSD trip of mine that I didn't plan on talking about, mm-hmm. but now, now that we're here, you know, like one of the challenges of talking to you and you trying to understand me and me trying to understand me was that the pain I was having was genuinely physical. Like mm-hmm. I know you said in, in our phone call, I was kind of going back and forth and there was a little bit of fluctuation, but it didn't, I, I'm not opposed to the idea that this might've been um, psychologically uh, generated in some uh, deep, like deeper unconscious kind of way. Like it, it wasn't just like I was overthinking and then I got pain. It, it was just that I was in just so much pain and it wasn't conscious. There was something deep rooted in me that I'm now right. learning right now, conscious that I'm now in my sober life trying to explore if um, like, like how is this pain being generated beyond my will? Like I don't want chest pain. I'm not, even when I'm just sometimes consciously relaxed it's still there's some kind of disturbance there so there's something deeper going on but in that lsd trip like the the pain was just out of control and and it was just so physical in my body it's like a demon just trapped in in my chest and so that i think you know i I don't know if you have any more thoughts about that but that was i I think one difficulty when talking to you too like you must have been a little confused as well like rav's complaining about physical pain not I wasn't saying that I feel like, like my mind is in hell necessarily. Like my mind, if anything, like the hallucinations were really beautiful, in fact. And I feel mm-hmm. so, a bit of like a missed opportunity in many ways, that experience. Like it's, it's like I've only kind of retrospectively looked look back on that and realized how beautiful the, the colors were because I wasn't mm-hmm. able to enjoy it because I was in so much chest pain. Uh, and, and again, I don't know if that was unconsciously somehow related to my mind, if there's something to do with that, or if there was more of just a physiological angle of 
like uh, LSD causes a lot of gut activity. Um, Mm -hmm. It creates a lot of gas. And I've already been dealing with some of those issues. And also I hadn't eaten properly the night before because I was nervous. And in the Mm -hmm. trip, I I didn't really eat that well. So I was hungry for a very long time, which doesn't sit well with my body. Um, So maybe that explained for a lot of what was going on. I don't know. But that was definitely, I'm sure, perplexing for you to hear somebody with going through a lot of physical pain, which I don't know if you've heard about cases like that, people having extreme physical pain on psychedelic trips. You know, I've done a lot of reading and research, and I haven't come across like any cases from from what I've read. I'm sure there are some people like that, but it seems to be very uncommon. Like when people yeah, talk well, about their LSD hell trips, they mean like psychological hell, yes, not necessarily yes. physical hell. So, so while what you were saying was very comforting and, you know, like, like that's what you want in somebody at that time is like, even if you mm-hmm. don't fully understand what I'm going through, you're still able to provide some confidence, which is very much needed. So I, I don't know if that was, you know, a little bit, contrived on your part or if you were trying to give me that confidence deliberately deliberately give me that feeling of safety but it was definitely highly unusual and uh very different from what most people experience on lsd yeah well that, so I have two things to say about that and one of them goes back to this idea that the substance that you take well it was uh you know it did cause a gut disturbance and, and i didn't know that you had underlying you know, gut issues like that. Um, I I kept thinking about, you know, the, the amount that you took, really, no matter how much you took, the amount that you took is physically so small. And I've never seen a, I've never seen a physical body impact from LSD. The feelings that occur within your body definitely get a lot stronger, right? And so, that's where I was coming from as I was talking to you about that. I was like, I, you know, I think you probably are in some discomfort right now. And I don't know how much of it is, is psychosymptomatic. Um, but there's probably some discomfort and it's probably just really, really heightened by the LSD, which goes into my other point, which is that to me, just hearing you now saying that, I think, wow, how beautiful of a tool is LSD because you were able to see these beautiful colors. And I know that you enjoyed the music when you listened to it, at least for a short period of time at minimum. So you're able to see this experience that is accessible to you. Unfortunately, you weren't able to enjoy that experience because of this underlying issue that was causing all of this pain. So why is that beautiful? Okay. Well, in your life now, you have been shown directly that there's more life to be had on the other side of figuring out whatever it is that's causing this gastric distress, right? So whatever it is that's causing this pain, if you in your normal life can, can heal that and can fix that, whatever it is, if it's psychosymptomatic, if it's dietary, if it's genetic, if it's an allergic reaction, if it's anything, if you're able de- de- to- definitely, definitely psychological based on what Dr. Clark, who I've spoken to, has told me, um, just to pause you for a second before you go yeah. on, like that, that's what he was saying. And he 
So he's a, he's an expert on chronic pain, and he he's retired now, but he's the president of the uh, the Psychophysiologic uh, Disorders Association, and he practices you know nothing like like alternative or anything fringe, mm-hmm. but just he I think in the seventies he was saying seventies or eighties he started seeing this surge of clients um, for whatever reason who were dealing with a lot of issues, a lot of pain in their bodies, back pain, knee pain gut pain, chest pain, and there was no, there was no um, diagnosis that he could give anything straightforwardly. And he would give them some medicines, drugs, it didn't work. And then he started inquiring to his patients, like what, like, like what's been, what is your childhood like? Um, What has it been like? And what is your life like now? How is your marriage? How are your kids? Um, What are your stress levels? And he immediately found this pattern, especially of childhood, but just stress broadly that these people who had this physical pain that he couldn't find a clear diagnosis for Mm -hmm. had incredibly stressful lives and especially incredibly stressful childhoods. And in many cases, the symptoms would come later in life. Many like stories he told me, people who who are interested in hearing more about that can re-listen to that episode now uh, on Spotify, Apple, wherever, where I, I talked to him and, he gives some examples of, of various people who had incredibly stressful childhoods and like 10, 20 years later, the symptoms come and, and there's no clear idea of what's going on. But the, the way out of it is to, and, and this is still something that I'm trying to understand, but the way out of it is processing those emotions and crucially recognizing how difficult that time was for you, which is still kind of difficult for me to wrap my head around in some ways. It seems kind of, a weird idea, but that's, that's apparently what he says he's gotten a lot of success with, uh, with his patients is when he tells them, um, when he's talking to them that, Hey, your childhood has been this, this incredibly stressful and they're not able to acknowledge that. And similarly, I was not able to acknowledge that when I spoke to him over the phone. Mm -hmm. And then, Mm -hmm. then he made me visualize like, Hey, what if you were a fly on a wall and there was another kid in your situation what would you feel like? Or what if your sister went through that? My little sister, what you went mm-hmm. through, how would you feel? And then suddenly there was this like, whoa, oh, okay. Now, now I get it. Okay. I can't downplay this anymore, you know, and I'm, and I'm still trying to process all these things and I'm not fully healed and there's still that physical discomfort there. But after that phone call conversation that I had with him personally, where he made it incredibly clear that my childhood was very difficult. And in his words, he's like, it's, it's no surprise you've been dealing with all these physical pains, not just in your chest, but elsewhere as well. Yeah, knee pain, wrist pain, eye pain. It's, it's no surprise that you've been experiencing this considering what you went through as a child. Um, so to uh, tie this back to, I think you were going to say something about uh, about, how, about this trip being very beautiful and revealing something to me. Um, that that's definitely not the attitude I had right after because yeah, I'm sure, I'm I, sure. I, 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 yeah, and I don't want to get into like everything right now, but it, but it was very brutal for a few weeks, or even like talking was difficult somehow. There was this like burning chest pain that made it very difficult to to verbally articulate things, um, which is very, very strange. But, but, I, but I really went through hell for a few weeks afterwards too. 
but 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 if there is a silver lining it is that through all of that pain which i wouldn't wish on anybody and i wouldn't do it over again certainly knowing if if i was going to go through that pain but now i am beginning to recognize that i need to get out of this mode of just thinking that what's happening in my body is the result of something wrong with my body but actually there's an underlying psychological cause for it right 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 and that's again it, what a great opportunity that we have as beings that are just kind of like just kind of here um to have a tool like that that can that can turn up the dial on the things that are going wrong for you to say okay i have to deal with this now i can't let this go any longer um and that's that's specifically what I meant when I said like, there's, there's beauty on the other side, there's more life to be had on the other side of healing, whatever it is, you know, that was causing that, that distress, whatever it is, you know, if it's trauma or anything, it doesn't, it doesn't, I mean, it's not that it doesn't matter, but it's like fix that. And then there's more life to be had psychedelic or not. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we, we just went on a long we just went on a very long detour on my LSD trip. That's not what I plan to talk to you about. But yeah, well, we don't um, seem to stay on plan usually. Whenever no, but, we, no, but that's talking. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. So, I think I've called you a couple of times before of like, hey, this this clip on Peterson's channel. Can we do it this way? And then next thing you know, we're we're talking about shamanic rituals and Hinduism right, and right. versus Christianity and your LSD trips, and it's like. <laughs> Wow, it's 1 a.m., Eric. We should hang up. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> that's right. What, that's exactly. What, that's what happens. Um, okay, so let, let's talk about, um, you know, I, I do want to talk about your psychedelic uh, experiences, although you do have this article coming out um, on my Substack, which we're still collaborating on and we're still going to edit uh, together. And it's a very, very long, exhaustive piece, and I'm very excited, <laughs> very excited to publish it. And considering the fact that you put so much thought into it as well, you were speak. You were you said you were speaking the article verbally, articulating it. Mm-hmm. It was about forty minutes, and you transcribed it. So you really were making kind of an album. You were really going all in, which I really appreciate. So then we'll we'll definitely talk about that. Um, although we may just have to talk more about that next time too, because there's you know we could spend hours talking about what you wrote there, mm-hmm. and I'm very excited to share it with my readers as well but, but let's very first, happy to hear that yeah yeah but, but let's also uh, talk about your experience working with jordan peterson i, I really wanted sure. to to know about that um do you just want to briefly outline how you like got the job how you started working <laughs> with peterson was he like looking sure. for people and you just applied was there and, and you don't have to go into like super uh amount of detail but just kind of like the the gist of it because Mostly, I want to talk about working with Peterson and what that was, mm-hmm. you know, what, what that's like consistently and what you've learned from working with him, especially and collaborating with him. And maybe if he's helped you um, explicitly or more inadvertently with your own things through the course of working with him, I'm very interested in that. But why don't you just briefly outline how you got to working with the great, infamous Dr. Jordan Peterson? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the first thing that I, I always say when talking about Jordan, if I'm going to talk about my personal experiences with him, is 
I answer the question that everybody has in the back of their mind um, if they're interested uh, in advance. So I just say the person that you hope that Jordan is in real life, the guy that you want him to be, he is exactly that and more. I have never had someone that has been so in the moment with me as we're deep in work and truly appreciative and truly respectful. Um, it's, it's so funny to me now. Like I was just, it was just a quick side detour. I was at his house two weeks ago and we were trending on Twitter. You lucky bastard. Jordan Peterson. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds sick. Yeah. It was really great. Having a beer with Jordan Peterson and just chilling out, having some barbecue, just hanging out. Having a steak. Yeah. Having a steak and some water. Well, of course. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely steak at his house. No veggies. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Just steak and water and some salt. And uh, awesome. it was me, him, his wife, Tammy, and our good friend, Jonathan Peugeot, who's been on his channel multiple times. And um, so we we had this amazing night. And it's just, to me, he's like, he's almost like I, I joke, like Grandpa Jordan. Um, to me, he's, he's, he's just such a good mentor to me. And he's such a good friend to me. And so I'm at his house. And it's the first time that I've been to his house. And I'm there all week and everything. And it's just him and I doing our normal normal thing. We're just working on whatever it is that we're working on, podcasting with uh, friends, the wall, uh, setting up for a podcast with Jonathan Pajot, John Verveke, and Jordan, which will be released in a couple of weeks. And uh, suddenly we're trending number one on Twitter, and it was the moment that I was like, oh, that's right. I forgot. You're like Dr. Jordan B. Peterson. You're not, you're not just like my friend Jordan. Uh, we're suddenly, you know, there's 70,000 people tweeting about you right now. And that particular instance was because uh, one of the people that's running for prime minister in Canada uh, for the next election cycle had mentioned, just had mentioned that he was reading 12 rules for life. And that made us number one trending on Twitter, which is just such a surreal experience to be a part of like the normal life. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, lawyers are calling media is calling all that kind of stuff. And it's just, just very surreal. But, Jordan is exactly that guy um, that you want him to be. And so is Tammy. And, and, and like, just to me, honestly, after the week being there, last thing I'll say, and then I'll get back to your question. I've found I'm recently divorced and I found so much comfort and solace watching Jordan and Tammy interact because I was like, ah, this still exists out there. No matter how jaded I want to be about marriage this still exists and they have a real Mm. relationship, a real relationship. Mm. And it is beautiful to watch uh, without getting too lovey dovey. So the, the weird thing about how I met Jordan, of course, like I swear every other thing in my life, especially since, and you'll see more of this if you guys read my article, but um, it's so weirdly, it's just such a weird story. So, I had a really, the worst thing in my life happened to me in 2018. And uh, I won't go into the details on that, but it was a truly just tragic experience. And it was right as I was finding Jordan's work. And Jordan's work really pulled me through the worst time in my life. Um, A time that I was in mourning for, I mean, to a certain extent, I'm still mourning what happened uh, in 2018. 
and uh that so so him pulling me out i've always felt this weird debt to him because his work was just so critically important the one thing that really like not only pulled me out but skyrocketed me back towards the trajectory that i was on which was to be very outwardly successful in the world at at that point i was the youngest manager in one of the world's most famous comedy clubs youngest business manager i you know had netflix specials under my belt all kinds of stuff i was like 24 right and uh and this terrible thing happens i find jordan's work i get back on track in a new way with all like this whole new thing and so i i leave my job from the comedy club and i decide to start my own podcasting company and i remember saying one of the last days that i was there somebody else another like a comic said something about jordan and i was like you know i'm going to have his podcast one day i'm going to i'm going to be the producer for his podcast one day which of course wow. was like nothing you know it just it was just like i meant it but i was like of course it's not going to happen i was walking just as just as a side point by the way i'm very prone to saying similar things and people always laugh at me and i think i think the one thing i think it might have been jordan it was either jordan or it might have been ben shapiro what one of the two i said so at some point like a year and a half ago like yeah i'll be on jordan's podcast like you'll see me there mm. And then, mm-hmm. then my buddy's like, and we're just laughing and we're kind of drunk. And he's like, yeah, yeah, sure. We'll see. I, 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 we should have put, we should have put a bet on it. Cause he would have bet me like five yeah. bucks. Probably, yeah, probably more. Right. right. <laughs> I should have, right. I should have done that. I would have won money, <laughs> but it was, yeah. it was so, it was so like clearly absurd and bizarre uh-huh. to say something like that. Yeah. But that exactly. was, that's, but that's sort of like, I don't openly talk, talk about that, but like with my friends, I, I say those things sometimes on my private Instagram account. I just, yeah, I'm very sort of Kanye West-ish when I talk about certain things every now and then. But but I, I, just, I just have a bit of that confidence. What do you have like to say I, about Pete Davidson? Disgusting. Absolutely <laughs> disgusting. Dude, Kim Kardashian is a fucking hottie. And Kanye West, okay, he's crazy, but at least he's cool. He's got the swagger. Pete Davidson is like that weirdo in drama class who's like high on uh, marijuana. And he's like, never does his homework. He's super weird and creepy. Like, like, I don't know how as somebody as high status and beautiful as her goes to him. It, it makes no sense to me. I don't know. Yeah. I, don't know. I have a, I have a person, <laughs> I have a personal story back from my comedy days about Pete Davidson that I'll tell you offline, but, uh, oh, okay. Offline? It, it, you'll, you'll offline? find, yeah, offline. Yeah, no, offline, okay. offline, offline. Okay. Um, so okay, but, yeah, and I actually, uh, I actually talked to that comic yeah. that I had said that to about a year ago and I was like, Hey man, just so you know. Cause I don't, I don't actually tell anybody, nobody really in my life knows what I do. When I first started working for Jordan, I wasn't sure what kind of social impact I was going to have. Not like that. I care about like what people think, but like safety wise, because it was kind of at a height of his controversy where people were attacking him and obviously they don't understand what he's trying to do and all that kind of stuff. So, but anyways, so I told this comic and he was just like, what I remember we stood right over there and you told me you were going to get his podcast. I said, yeah. So I said that. And then I left, I made my own podcasting company. Uh, it became very successful. Just, I had so many clients, like clients from my comedy days. I had like 30, I think it was 36 shows at one point with multiple shows that were in the top 100 of comedy live in the dream, right? All kinds of good stuff. Which, which shows uh, by, can you name a couple? Yeah. Yeah. Podcasts. Yeah, yeah. So one of them was uh, one of them was the Cy Amundsen show. That one was really popular in uh, in my hometown. He's just kind of a local comic um, that occasionally okay. made it into the charts. 
there was middle of somewhere, which is, uh, I think still probably in the top 150. That is with Chad Daniels, who is, in my opinion, the funniest person in the world. If you guys want to listen to any comedy and you, you, somebody that you probably haven't heard of Chad Daniels, 100%. He's now is getting quite popular, um, again, for the first, for the first time in, in a long time. Um, but he's gotta be the funniest person on the planet. And then a show that I still have, which is just the, it's just a weird show that has nothing to do with all the other stuff that I'm doing but called two girls, one ghost. And that show is always in the top 150, and it's just two girls telling ghost stories and it's, they're great. They're like one of my favorite clients of all time. And, uh, so I had, so sick. Uh, that sounds fun. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I, I had all these shows and, yeah. um, I went out, I got married because Jordan had convinced me, not that I knew him personally, but through listening to his work, that getting married was a great idea, which I actually agree with. I got married for our honeymoon. We decided we would take a year long trip from Duluth, Minnesota, up into Canada, and then all the way down to Mexico on a sailboat, uh, even though we only had two weeks combined between the two of us, we had two weeks of sailing experience going into it. So my first time in Toronto, I actually was, I arrived on my sailboat. I went and walked around University of Toronto, went into the old classrooms that Jordan had those lectures in and everything. This great surreal moment. Um, like we, we got to New York, New York, New York, and, uh, a business associate of mine, I would say, um, had sold his tech company and was starting a new tech company. And I had a couple of meetings with him while we were in New York and he like saw something in me and, and he brought me to like a really high up meeting with somebody who was like the COO or CFO of some brand of Walmart or something like that. And he was really impressed. And, and he eventually talked me into coming back to Minneapolis where I'm from and becoming the president of his new tech company. Um, that tech company ended up being worth about $110 million. Um, when I was the president, I built a team. That company is now worth like $500 million with the team that I created and everything, Just with, which is just a weird story. I'm not saying that to impress anybody. It's just, there's a, there's a lot that goes into that story that's very strange. And it's important context because I still was running my company. I had my producers and everything. And I was walking through Ikea one day with my wife and out of nowhere, just completely out of the blue, I got this download of information into the back of my head, like just straight into my head where I could see an entire future out in front of me. And it was, it was very psychedelic. And so I will say, I haven't told Jordan or Michaela this story, so please don't bury the lead. I can't wait to tell. I want to wait till the proper time to tell them like why I reached out in the first place. But yeah, don't yeah. bury the lead with this. For sure. But, um, I literally, like, it's, it's the craziest story, and I wouldn't believe it if it didn't happen to me. I got this download of information all at once where it was very psychedelic. It was very, like, dreamlike where I, had, I knew all the information when it came in. But like, as soon as it started to go away, like I, I couldn't, I could barely hold on to anything. And what I, I said out loud to my wife, I said, I need to sit down right now and I'm going to send a message to Michaela Peterson that I will make her a podcast. I'm going to just do a podcast with her. And my wife was like, what? Okay. So I sat down and for like 30 minutes, 
I just sat there and like crafted what I thought was like the perfect message to Michaela Peterson. Like, Hey, you know, I have this like auxiliary connection to your dad. Um, you know, I know somebody that he knows and I have a podcasting team, podcasting company. For some reason, I just feel like you have to have a podcast and I just like, I'm sending you this to say, I don't want anything from you. I just want you to have a podcast. I will produce it. I will do it for free. I, mm. you know, I, here are my professional accreditations. I can prove to you that what I'm talking about is legitimate. And this is a real offer. Surprisingly, she responded like 20 minutes later. And she said, mm. we just got out of a business meeting. And this is the first message that I read after we just decided that I needed to start a podcast. And I was like, oh God, okay. I don't know what, I don't know what just happened. She was like, <laughs> here's my manager, set up a meeting with him. And then I did. And I talked to, to her manager at the time and, and a couple other people on the team and they were, you know, really impressed. And they, they said, yeah, let's do it. So I started doing Michaela's podcast. I started it with her. We, we created it. I think it was 2000, it was 2019 that we started recording just before COVID hit. And, uh, she eventually convinced me to leave the company that I was with, the tech company that I was with. That's Wait, important ju content. Ju just, just one Sorry, second. Well, yeah. I'm pretty sure she started in 2020 because I remember the start of her podcast. It we was started like recording in 2019. Yep. But it, it came oh. out, I think it was April 2020, I believe. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. Because she, was, she yeah. was in like Serbia and she was all over the world. And we were right. just recording whenever we could find time. Um, Got it. So we, yeah, we started. I think we started recording in December, maybe January of 2020, and released in in April. Yeah. And uh, so she eventually yeah. convinced me to walk away from the tech company. Um, and it's not it, the Petersons have taken plenty good care of me. I'm not complaining in any way, shape, or form. But the reason I said it was we went from 100 million to 500 million with the the team that I created. That was only two and a half, three years ago. I literally walked away from millions of dollars to to join Jordan's team. And the reason was, was because of the purpose and the meaning that Jordan's work holds. And wow. I, I do not regret it at all, at all. Mi like, millions of dollars. Literally millions of dollars. Oh, shit. Wow. Literally. Right, right. Uh, also something I'm... I haven't talked to him about. So don't bear the lead on that either, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to email Jordan right now and be like, hey, mm -hmm. buddy, yeah. Got some insights for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. But I, but I'm sure like working for Jordan has been very lucrative too. Like I mean, his, he's killing it with his podcasts. Yeah. yeah. So like yeah, it's, we make we make good money and and yeah. you know I literally no regrets. They take great care of me and uh, you know they've yeah. they've continued to allow me to expand my team out to other clients and all kinds of stuff. So there's there's no there's no complaint whatsoever. But but it is to say that like not a pat on my back, like, Oh, I'm so great. I left millions of dollars to pursue what was meaningful, but it's like, no, that's, that's really what happened. And, and that is, yeah. uh, that's important. And, and to me, I sleep so much better at night than I, I would have doing what mm. I was doing back then without, without really a purpose. Like it was tech and it was scalable and it was all these kinds of things, but it was a nasty business to be in. There was no like, deeper purpose to my soul or anything like that, that was being fulfilled in that way. I was starting to do stupid behaviors, like caring about like my social status and what does my watch look like and all this kind of stupid shit that just isn't me. And so 
I'm very happy that I made that decision. I, I, I'll never regret making that decision. Well, I shouldn't say never, but I really don't think I'll ever regret making that decision. And then when Jordan started getting healthy again, uh, he came back and, and I had at that point, so I actually came in to Luminate, which is Jordan's company and uh, was the director of operations. Uh, Cause I was obviously, I was a business builder. Right? I was president of this tech company. It makes sense. The director of operations kind of doing the podcast on the side. But I had monetized the podcast and I had, I had really, you know, dug back through a lot of the old stuff and they were really happy with what I was doing. So they said, you know, Eric, please work with dad and figure out, you know, what we want to do for season four of the podcast. And that's what we've been doing ever since. Wow. That's amazing. And, and also maybe I'll return to just like me saying these kind of things and see maybe if that aligns with how you feel about it. But like when I sometimes when I've said these things in the past of, oh, I'm going to be on Jordan's podcast. I, I want to talk to Ben Shapiro in a year or, or something like yeah. that. It's 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 kind of fun to say and it's cocky and it's, you know, whatever strange. And I like saying strange things sometimes. Mm-hmm. But but there's definitely there's definitely. <laughs> yo, <laughs> hey, what does that mean? No, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, well, definitely when I'm on LSD, when I'm calling my buddy Eric. <laughs> <laughs> you're officially my designated psychedelic phone call person. So awesome. Whenever, I'm so happy to hear that. Whenever you, you should have like a special place for me, like in your phone contacts, like I can call you at any time. You know how you I'll can put like, you in my favorites. Yeah. I'll put you yeah, in my yeah, favorites. Yeah, put, you'll, you'll go right put through my favorites. Yeah. Then when I'm high on five grams of mushrooms, <laughs> let, let's see how well you deal with that. You may yeah, have, yeah, you may yeah. Have, you may have to fly over in, in two hours or come like hologramically or something and just try to help me out. I don't know. I was going to say, it might be, it might be too much for you if I just show up in person, you know, halfway through a mushroom trip. That might be, that might be a little too much for you. Are you real? Yeah, man, I think so. Well, uh, no, I feel like that would be very comforting because you, like if if on a phone call you were that comforting, in person could be even more. Yeah, but I smell weird. So just wait till you meet me in person. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm not sleeping with you. I'm just, just there with you. So whatever. Um, <laughs> um, but no, like when I, like when I've said these things in the past, there's like a, there's like an intuitive feeling about it. There, there's something like the universe is saying something to me and I'm just like saying that out loud. And it sounds so weird and bizarre to say, but it means something to me. Mm-hmm. And I definitely feel that constantly. I don't know how, normal that is but that that's definitely how i feel about a lot of things and i can sort of sense where my life is going and and we actually mm-hmm. talked about this privately last week like where i feel like i'm going yeah uh in in my life i i'm very confident about I, i'm very confident about it and i could even put like money on it even like this is where i'm going i'm not sure how i'll get there but i feel like the universe is pushing me in that direction and like when that happens, it, it, there's a tremendous amount of relief, but there's a lot of motivation that comes with that too. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't, I don't know how frequently people experience this normally. I, I don't know. I've, I haven't really heard many people talk about this, but there is something to say for people who have um, some stronger intuitive abilities that maybe some of the psychedelics tap into. But I don't, is, is that kind of your experience as well? Like when you... When you said you were going to be on Jordan's, like you, when you said you're going to create or produce for Jordan's podcast, was there some kind of signal you felt from the universe telling you like this is going to happen? Well, so I think there's two ways to 
immediately what comes to mind is two ways to think about that. There's, there's the uh, survivorship bias kind of effect or the confirmation bias kind of effect that could be at play here where it's like, of all the things that you say throughout the day, the ones that come true are the ones that you remember and you kind of forget the rest of them. Um, there's, there's an argument to be made there for sure. Uh, but at the same time, and Jordan talks about this a lot when you aim at something, right? So when you're aiming at something, you're walking forward with that aim, you're bound to be heading in that direction, maybe not directly, but heading in that direction. And maybe eventually getting somewhere along that that dimension that, that direction, I think that that's you know irrefutable. I think that 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 like what you focus on is what you see, right? It's like the 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 gorilla and the basketball experiment that Jordan always talks about. For example, you know the you're you're tasked with watching this video, and you're supposed to count how many times the team that's wearing the blue jerseys passes a basketball back and forth, and you watch the video and you count and you're like seven and the answer is seven. It's like, yeah, great. I did it. Did you notice the gorilla walking through the, the frame at any time? And you're like, what? That didn't happen. And you replay the video. You, they don't replay it. You can go back and you can replay it. If you haven't seen it, please go and do this. And I'm, well, I'm kind of ruining it now, but um, there's a gorilla that walks through very overtly. It's not hidden at all. He walks in or a guy in a gorilla suit walks into the middle of the basketball passes and you know starts dancing and everything it is right there out in the open and that's an example of you know how your visual field uh takes in information and throws it away without you really even paying attention to it so i think it's a little bit irrefutable to say that you know making a purposeful directive statement with confidence like that that means you are setting yourself in that direction um and 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 then you're going to if you're the type of person who does what they say, you're going to head in that direction subconsciously, even with tiny little micro things that you do. So I think that there's, there's those two arguments to look at it there. There's, you know, what you said, like the universe pulling me in this direction. And I think that that's one thing that for me, especially I feel that way. And it's hard to articulate any kinds of feelings like that, but it's, but it's interesting because it's, if it's, if it's you saying, I'm going to go do this, you're, you're pushing out into a direction. And then there's this whole other side of things where it's like, if it's the universe pulling me in, just listen to the word, the language usage, you know, that even you said, and the language usage that we would typically use when we're, when we're talking about these kinds of things, I'm pushing in this direction. The universe is pulling me in this direction. Um, and it's probably a mixture of all three of those things. It's probably a little bit of all of that, especially after having so many strong psychedelic experiences you're you're familiar as as well as i that there's all kinds of things that are possible that that maybe we're not consciously aware of all the time Mm. yeah and also i should say there's like i've said these things before too that and it didn't pan out at all like when i was in like grade 10 i said um i put this on my instagram and i didn't realize how outrageous and crazy it was to say this especially given my um, academic uh, portfolio and what school I go to and where exactly I land um, when when it comes to getting good grades. But I said, like, I'm going to go to Harvard, Columbia, or Stanford University. Mm. I said that in grade Mm -hmm. 10. And I I put it out on my Instagram. I don't know why. 
And late, later on, I found out that everybody was like mocking it all over like Snapchat and whatever. And it was like totally crazy. Everybody was laughing at me, you know, and I, and I continued to like actually pursue that grade 11, grade 12 up until graduation. I, I tried really, really hard. And I was telling everybody, I'm going to go to an Ivy League university. And even when I graduated, I'm like, okay, I didn't, I couldn't do it. And my grades were not that good. And I took on too much, but I was still chasing the impossible. And I decided to take my SATs again and, and still like, like keep pushing for it. But it, it was really not meant to be. And, and I wish I had realized that a bit sooner. So mm. I hadn't, I hadn't experienced so much constant failure over and over again with that specific goal like like it was not even close like i was reaching way way too high way way beyond my reach um like there wasn't even for you at that time yeah yeah at that time there was no chance and i was and i spent a whole like uh grade 10 to like two years after so like five years of my life i was living under kind of a delusion that i'm gonna get to harvard or stanford and i did everything all of the the uh, things in order to get there, all the SATs, school preparation, spent thousands on SAT preparation, which was so stupid and had to use some of my dad's money to get there. And then my dad would drive me to the States and we did the SATs over and over again. And I, I really wanted that and it, it, it didn't happen at all. Um, and so in, in that case, you know, some greater mindfulness, um, and understanding of where I'm at and what I can do would have been good and would have helped me recognize where I'm at. Um, but at the same time, now I feel like I've gotten more intuitive and especially as mm -hmm. I, I know, I no longer feel like a failure in many ways, which was the highlight of my second MDMA trip, which I'm currently writing about right now, actually. And I'm really excited mm. to publish it soon. But but now I definitely feel more in line with my intuitions and I feel like I have a better understanding of where I'm at. But there is something to say, uh, a little bit contrary to what I was saying and what you were saying of sometimes you can just say things and they're completely uh, impractical and they're not going to happen. But we keep setting ourselves up by setting ourselves up for failure by setting goals that are way too high and way too mm -hmm. out of our reach. And, and that is unusual for me. I, I don't know how it is for you, but for me as a very hyper ambitious person, um, that is something that I experience more so than other people. But on the other hand, I'm fuck. I've, I've done a podcast with Jordan Peterson and Ben Shapiro and Joe Rogan's read some of my articles. And it, it's, it's mm -hmm. really kind of a dream, kind of a dream life in many ways, but, but, but that's also, I guess the, the other thing from a broader cosmic kind of perspective of like so much failure in one area right. leading to so much like, like, you know, forget about me in this, but just objectively speaking, incredible, spectacular success for somebody my age, all of a sudden, you know, like, so it is interesting how going from rock bottom to suddenly, you know, at the top of the mountain for kind of what is possible at being this age it is really incredible mm -hmm. how you can, transition so uh radically yeah absolutely that's the phoenix rising right that's the rising from the ashes and and from the flames yeah also i want to briefly bring in here my friend carson uh, we were just texting back and forth he's been listening to this and he had some thoughts about my lsd trip um that sweet he had, let's and I, do it and I, and I wanted to yeah and i wanted to give him the opportunity to talk about it 
Um, we also want to talk about your trips as well, um, while being mindful of time and everything. Um, and, and I should maybe just ask you quickly too, um, what time did you have to go, you said? Um, well, I, I guess, so ten, 10, probably 10 PSD, I would imagine. I have an early yeah. flight to go meet the Petersons in San Francisco right. in the morning, but, uh, nice. but I'm sure. good for now. I'm good for now. Yeah. Cool. Cool. All right. Um, yeah, it, it is nine twenty, So, so another 40 minutes, okay. but yeah, let's, cool. let's bring Carson on and Carson, uh, for those of you who don't know, um, he is the clinic director, uh, at thrive downtown, uh, an amazing clinic here in Vancouver that does psychedelic integration therapy. And he's kind of been guiding me throughout this process of, of where to go and what to do and, how to integrate my experiences. So he's similarly, I have to say you, you, I think you guys are sort of kindred spirits, actually. Mm, You guys have a lot of wisdom. You know, Carson has the clinical psychology background. And so he really knows some of the science um, about these things, but you guys very much intersect in the experiences that you've shared with me um, privately. And so I think it'll be good to, to bring Carson into this. So um, where did Carson go? Carson has disappeared. I saw him for a second. Oh, oh, there he is. Saw him is. for okay. a second. Okay, let me invite him to speak. Make next caller. Okay. Okay, I've invited Carson to speak. There he is. Carson, welcome. You can unmute yourself. There. How's that? Yeah, that's great. Okay, welcome, man. I feel it, it's amazing how many buttons it, it always takes me. Yeah, you know, it's it's nice to pop in. It's it's funny because I've been. Uh, listening just for, just while I've been jogging for for the last forty five minutes, and nice to meet you, Eric. It's been nice to really hear your thoughts and just some of your kind of background and the, your your very poetic way of describing life. Really, mm, thank you, thank you. Yes, nice to meet you too, Carson. Yeah, yeah, nice to nice to pop in, and I, I think I think Rav mentioned we might hear a little bit about your own your your own kind of journey experiences. And I I, I was in the middle of jogging, and I, I the the kind of piece hearing. Uh, Rav just kind of describe just such a somatic um, LSD experience that I was I was hearing you Eric say well you know it's just, it's got such like a a light footprint like LSD you know typically doesn't do much physically and I was thinking well you know our bodies and our emotions they'll they sure do something physically mm-hmm. and LSD being such a amplifier of whatever's going on in your system um, it it just reminded me so much of somebody just experiencing all of their past like symbolized in just like a concrete really physical kind of somatic conversion and i i, mm-hmm. I think uh that was, that's kind of been my impression of 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 what happened i think that kind of fits with how rav has been making sense of the the kind of the so muchness that happened on that trip mm-hmm. mm. yep yeah yeah you're definitely right about that um was there anything else you wanted to say um, before we get into Eric's trips as well? Anything else on your mind, Carson? Well, you, I, I, I think the kind of momentum of the the chat earlier. <laughs> I, I think I kind of missed the wave in some ways, but I, I, I think I just wanted to say, if you take psychedelics out of the mix, uh, in in the eleven years of clinical work I've done with military veterans, uh, Rav, you have something really in common with a lot of the soldiers I work with, and that's a tendency to take kind of traumatic past incidents and just really experience them through the body. I've uh, worked with a lot of guys who just have closets full of trauma. And this isn't to say anything about your history, but just 
just clients I've worked with where even though they've gone through things where I like, I'd be literally sitting there kind of crying and or, or tears coming out of my eyes. They're, they're just experiencing it just through like an unbelievable amount of gut pain, uh, kind of the, the sort of polyvagal pathways through the body, uh, often just mean like there's going to be like a lung sort of impingement or, or just something going on in the gut. And then it's just the, one of the really fun parts of the work is watching as the, it starts to kind of move out of that hard somatic territory into the emotion, uh, just watching guys just start just grieving and, and just watching it turn into like this beautiful release of stuff that's been held in, in kind of, um, aches and pains that have been there for a really long time. And of course, this is, this is more just like convenient poetry. I, I can't like say with any certainty, but, uh, it really just fits the pattern of, of, what our bodies do. And I think what the socialization of men does a lot of the time is just sort of turning mm-hmm. a lot of old ghosts into the, the physical realm instead of that, that emotion that maybe wasn't so safe to feel during earlier life experiences. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is, mm-hmm. I, I, this is, uh, this is the only uh, yeah. forum where I feel like I can just go on like a run on sentence for like a no, good yeah. three minutes and just, this is fun. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and I'm still waiting for that emotional release um to happen because for me it was just so much physical pain um and again i'm still not able to fully parse out the the psychology uh from the the psychology and the physiology element of the trip and there could just be just a lot of physiology of just being very hungry and just what lsd does to your gut there could be a lot of that as well but there could be a lot of anxiety as well that i have to unpack but but there definitely wasn't um like an emotional release right away that made sense of that pain. But I feel like where I'm in right now in my real life is trying to get to that emotional release and really unpack that pain. And I know Carson, we've talked privately about um, us potentially working together on that um, uh, in a, in a counseling setting. Um, But that's definitely what I'm exploring right now in sober life is how to uh, unpack that trauma and really like grieve a lot of those things in my childhood that I didn't really recognize as being uniquely traumatic because you, you, you know, like, as I was saying earlier, it's very difficult to think how traumatic that was. And there's a bit of like a masculine part of it. There's also a bit of a, an immigrant part of it. And also just also a South Asian kind of part of it as well. I'm just kind mm-hmm. of rubbing it and you know, just kind of brushing it off your shoulders and, and this is yeah. this is also this is also kind of random, but but the Kendrick Lamar on his album, uh, Carson, we we and I talked about this briefly over text, but he has a song, Father Time, and he talks about that very same thing about as a kid, you know, him feeling a lot of difficult emotions, and for him going through gang violence, um, seeing many loved ones killed, um, just just a horrible life filled with um, uh, violence, drug dealing, poverty, all these things, and and he. He was saying in that song he was never able to fully feel those emotions and he is now and in that mm. album he's talking about um his girlfriend telling him to to go do therapy um and so he's now later in life acknowledging those childhood emotions that were suppressed that his father told him to just brush off and just wake up and go to school and pretend like nothing happened very much my experience and i'm sure the experience of many men who just want to tough it out you know and not not sound like a whiny bitch and say anything about it, but, <laughs> but, but then, but then you, you know, you, you, you carry that pain with you, even if you're not conscious of it. And then that leads to the kind of pain that I'm experiencing right now. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, so I would, I beautifully. Would, oh, sorry. Yeah. Please go for it. I was going to say that I was, I was so convinced when, when you had called me rap, that that is exactly what was happening because your, your pain would go away as soon as you were not go away completely, but it would be so much subdued for those, those short periods, right? You're a minute in pain and you're a minute out of pain, you're a minute in pain, out of pain. And again, talking about what you were going into that therapy session working on, you're trying to work on this overthinking and this, this uh, probably some kind of like catastrophic thinking um, that you would, as soon as you started focusing on the pain again, it would just get so much stronger. And that's all I was trying to remind you is like, hey, remember the rest of life going on here, because I think what's going on is you're you're causing this pain. Um, mm. And it seemed it seemed to be very real in that moment, but that it, and that not that it wasn't physically very painful, but that I was like, gosh, he's got to be he he just keeps going in and out of this where he's okay, and then he's in a ton of pain again. And I was like, I think this is, I think this is his overthinking about the pain causing the pain. Right, and and you know this. It's also beautifully put. You to the the name of the game here. I think that doesn't get mentioned enough is just keeping keeping the bloody heart open the the mm. heart like you know whether it's kendrick lamar whether it's um you know dr peterson telling you to get married eric there's this this piece around just like keeping the heart open and the old parable of like the warrior who manages to endure all the hardships of reality mm-hmm. and somehow maintain the sensitivity to stay emotionally online instead of dipping into those sort of numb lows that become so yeah. normal in society. And it's, it's easy for us to speak and just kind of step into this so intellectually, but the bigger challenge is just to stay sensitive to emotions that just get shut down and just kind of have to express in some sort of way. But I, I just find it so exciting because we're at a point where whether you look at from a, a sort of Eastern perspective of keeping the heart chakra open or the modern neuroscience that says the ventral vagal nerve running through the front of the body needs to be exercised. We just mm-hmm. know we're doing everything we can to stay um, connected to connected to the, the warmth that pulls us forward. Um, Eric, you were talking, I think you were both talking earlier about like that, um, you know, that the, the sort of beacon of meaning that pulls you forward and, and, and uh, just like activates your system and just gives you that, that, all the the feelings that 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 you know kind of bring you to life and um i think just to kind of tie that all together we're all just sort of looking for ways to dust off the the injuries of yesterday and really just Mm -hmm. remain sensitive to what like you know what gets us up in the morning and and what lets Mm -hmm. us have intimacy with others you know it's a a big journey Mm -hmm. very well put Yeah. Um, so we have about half an hour and there's a lot I want to talk to Eric about, but yes. we're, we're not going to be able to do that in half an hour. So I'm going to just, you know, Carson, you're welcome to stay here. It's, it's totally up. It's totally up to you. Whenever you feel like chiming in, but Eric, is there a direction you want to go in maybe in terms of psychedelics? Um, like what's, what's on my mind right now is also like talking about working with Peterson. So maybe we'll bookmark that for next time. Cause I think there's a lot there. And, and we'll definitely bookmark a bigger psychedelic conversation for next time as well. But, you know, you're editing this article that you're writing for me right now. And you said that uh, you said earlier how you've been learning more about your psychedelic experiences now that I've kind of inadvertently forced you to revisit those things and to make sense of them. 
than you have in the past few years. That struck me as very interesting. So is there anything mm-hmm. that kind of has been jumping out to you um, as you've been writing this long piece about your psychedelic experiences? Something that you're thinking about right now and kind of processing? Maybe if you want to just talk out loud you know, as you're still in the process of finishing this article for me, which, again, I'm very excited to publish. There's something that uh, is uniquely striking you about your many LSD and mushroom trips. <laughs> yeah. And gentlemen, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to use, I'm just going to take that opportunity just to weave out. Thanks for chatting. I'm going to go back to listener mode because I, I could talk and talk, but I'd rather, I'd rather hear you two talk. So thanks for chatting. And uh, Sure. I'll, I'll go back Great, to headphones. Thanks for your contribution, Carson. Yeah, t- we'll talk again some other time, Eric. Take care. Yes, that'd be definitely. Yeah, I yeah. think uh, Carson will want you next time as well. We'll try to plan something with Eric because um, Eric, as he's writing about it in his article, um, th- there were definitely some negative things about his psychedelic trips, about uh, depersonalization, which maybe mm-hmm. we'll talk about now or, or we'll talk about more in depth, I think, next time. And that article, I think, will go into that. And it would be great to get your perspective, Carson, because you've dealt with so many people, um, pr- probably with similar experiences. So it would be great to have And myself, yeah. Yeah, that would be a great conversation to have. And we'll do that after the article is published. But for now, we'll, we'll try to just riff on whatever Eric is uh, going through. But okay. great to, ha- great to have yeah. you, Carson. Can't wait, guys. Let's set up that chat. Okay. That'd be great. Yeah, awesome. All right, bye for now. That's why I love podcasting, man. That's why I've been in podcasting for 11 years now. Like, there's just so many amazing connections that come out of it. Um, yeah, you'll get a bit of a, you'll get a little bit of psychedelic integration therapy live, maybe. Yeah, next time yeah, that's fantastic. I need be it. Fun. I need it. So yeah. one of the things yeah. that I'm really focusing on, my, so one of the things that I was really focusing on with the article is that you know I'm I'm coming into my own as you know, kind of a, a, an intellectual thinker. I'm more, I'm getting presented more on Jordan's channel and all that kind of stuff with, with some of the conversations that him and I have had with, with different guests. And uh, so I'm, I'm really looking at like, what do I want to talk about? If I'm going to be talking publicly, what do I want to talk about? And so in this article, I, I kind of, it might seem a little, all over the place at first. And one of the reasons for that is that I'm, I'm trying to investigate a couple of different areas of psychedelics and, and the way that we interact with them um, that I think are really, really important. Because I think, you know, my work in life now is very focused on meaning and purpose and the, you know, this, the quote unquote meaning crisis, um, as John Ravakey calls it. And uh, I think they're a critical role. I think that there's a there's a really important, uh, unique role that they play, much for the reason that we just talked about with Carson here. It's like with the way that we are conditioned in our society and in our culture, especially as men, but just it just everyone in general, and not even as men, but the masculine. The masculine is conditioned for a certain amount of like tough it out and 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 just deal with it and, and keep moving forward. And there's so much that the psychedelics bring up that they bring it up in a way that you cannot ignore it any further. And so it, it, it brings it to the forefront and it's like, no, you're going to deal with this and you're going to deal with it right now. But part of dealing with it right now is that 
you get into a mode with the psychedelics and you have an experience. And one of the most important things to me about the psychedelic experience is to take it very seriously, to, to use the exterior uh, insight that you get. You know, you get this kind of other way to look at life or your life or what you're doing, what, you know, what your ego is telling you, what your, what your heart is telling you. You have just these different parts of you that get opened up via the various different uh, psychedelic experiences. And it's so critically important to keep working on those. I can't like stress enough how much you have to keep working on those things in sober life. And one of the differences mm, that I've seen absolutely. Yep. with, with, uh, so I was a, I was a touring, here's another part of my past. I was a touring reggae musician for a number of years and I toured the country. And when you do that as a reggae musician, really um, reggae? or like reggae, really reggae? Adjacent. I, yeah, reggae adjacent, adjacent. I thought you, I thought adjacent, you were more but, rock. Yeah, um, my music is interesting, rock, but but I was oh. in like the the hippie scene, let's say. Okay, I'll also just briefly say Carson is also a musician. He's oh, he's fantastic! Done, within within <laughs> the hip hop hip hop genre, guitar playing. Um, you guys are very similar in that way, but. Yeah, I didn't know you cool, were in cool. reggae, though. I didn't, yeah, I didn't know you were in reggae. Yeah, but the reggae scene, I mean, to me, I found <laughs> my mom showed me Bob Marley. My mom, like this, like, just amazing, outstanding, upright Christian woman, showed me Bob Marley in, like, seventh grade. And while everyone else was listening to Bob Marley because of all of these other, like, oh, he's weed and all this kind of stuff, for me, it was always about his love for life, his love for people, his love for humanity, his love for God and the way that he would sing about it um, was just so different to me. And, and with reggae music, not to go off on a whole tangent here, but with reggae music, the, the voice and the words are so critical. Like the, the voice in reggae is really the most important instrument and all of the other instruments are there to set up the voice. And so there's so many amazing patterns and and melodies that you can that you can achieve in reggae music that just shine and it allows you to pull along lyrics that are truly meaningful and, and purposeful in a way that is just unbelievable like in a way that you know no like quote-unquote pothead is going to be able to to like articulate but that's what they feel um so i was like in the hippie scene quote-unquote and the more that I was, the more that I was around the country, the more I realized that there were a lot of people that were burning out and, and had burned out and were just taking psychedelics over and over and over and over again, even if they were doing it to be insightful, right? Like even if they were trying to get insight, they just kept going back to the psychedelic experience. And then it would go from, Hey, I had five really good trips in a row, but my last 15 trips have been really bad. And I would talk to people and be like, well, you know, what's going on with you that that's causing it? I don't know. I just always keep getting stuck in the same place, but I know if I just eat another three grams of mushrooms and I go walk through the woods, I'm going to be able to figure it out. It's like, yeah, you may be able to, but at a certain point, the psychedelics are an encapsulated experience. And if you don't bring those insights to a broader, greater therapy, um, and I, I really think best with another person. I think, Rab, the way that you're going about this is just is so intelligent. And I'm so grateful that our culture and our even our governments are getting to the point where they're allowing these type of therapies because they can be so useful. I mean, Carson, you talked about 
PTSD with war veterans. The work that's being done in that area is just phenomenal. I mean, with with Roland Griffith's work at uh, Johns Hopkins, with Rick Doblin out of MAPS, there's just so much incredible mm. work coming out of it. And it's, it's just we, so critically important to continue working on, you know, something comes up in that psychedelic experience and it happens and it's six hours long or it's 12 hours long or, or you know, 24 if it's like a ton of LSD or something. Um, but then to take that into your sober life and to work on it and figure out why did this happen? What also, is this insight about? Just one thing also, you mentioned Johns Hopkins. We, we just had on uh, Dr. Matt Johnson on the podcast a couple of days ago from Johns Hopkins. He's been on Lex Friedman's podcast and, and many other places. Mm. He, he's, he's a top guy for psychedelic research at Johns Hopkins other than Roland Griffiths. But, but him and Griffiths have been behind the amazing studies on smoking cessation, it's dep- depression. Such great. Yeah. He, it's yeah, so he, great. He was, he was amazing. Yeah. He's him and Roland Griffiths are doing amazing work. And yeah. And, and, and also, yeah. Go, go ahead. Sure. Go ahead. Yeah. And also too, and I just have to thank Carson, just give him credit too here of what he's done at the clinic at thrive downtown. Uh, I also formally interviewed him on this podcast and how um, a few years ago he started creating these protocols for, for, for psychedelic integration therapy, really kind of starting from scratch. Really, this is not like, like psychedelics have been, been around for a very long time, even like psychotherapeutically, but this is still kind of a newer phase of psychedelic therapy and psychedelic integration therapy. So Carson has really been kind of pioneering a lot of these things here in Vancouver with his clinic, creating these safety measures um, for people to um, get into this realm um, and do it safely with proper guidance and proper integration. So it's a big, big, big credit to people like him and then people in other uh, major cities who are also investing a lot in psychedelic integration therapy. It's still mm-hmm. very, very new, this kind of formal clinical practice. Um, and it, But it's, it's very, very exciting. And, and of course, the people at Johns Hopkins, at MAPS, um, de- definitely, I think, we're building for hopefully a future let's say five or 10 or 15, 20 years from now, where this will be more commonplace of like, Hey, you go to your doctor. I'm really depressed. I have PTSD. Here's a freaking like prescription. Go get MDMA therapy here. Go do a guided session. You know, like that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so I, I would say personally, if you guys are listening to this conversation and you're interested in psychedelics, go follow thrive on whatever platform is the best for them. Uh, because it's so, it's such critical work that's being done in that area to mm. make safe spaces, let's say like make a safe platform for people to use these psychedelic tools, right? These psychedelic tools. I know they're fun. I know they can be great, but like, I, I know it can be a great experience. The, therapeutic experience of it is really i think where all of the real true power comes in because it can transform your life immediately for a day and then the therapy you know integrates that and embodies it into the rest of your daily habits routines the way that you look at the world you know one of the things that happened to me and and this is part of the depersonalization uh or dissociative disorders that you know are sometimes occur uh your frameworks get ripped away and so it's really really helpful to have someone there along with you not only on that day 
but on the days beyond to help guide like how do we reconstruct our frameworks now because some of those frameworks are bad and you want it you want to get rid of them and that can be you know that can be really really beneficial but some of those frameworks you know you can have a psychedelic experience and you're on a couple of hits of LSD and a framework that you don't want to be destroyed uh kind of goes away not because the LSD did anything wrong but because you saw things in a new light and maybe you jumped to the wrong conclusion and you know next thing you know you you're on a completely different thought path that isn't necessarily real because your ego got in the way or because you know somebody said something to you while you were under that psychedelic state um and i'm not saying that this happens all that often but you know th- there's that potentiality so like the therapy portion of it that working on it after is just so critically important yeah yeah exactly yeah be- beautifully put and Definitely, I think these clinics, you know, what Carson is doing and what other clinics are doing, I think this is going to grow more and more. And Carson has just kind of told me uh, privately, just kind of broadly speaking with kind of what he's sensing from at least kind of what's going on in Vancouver. But but broadly, I feel like this is true of a lot of people are struggling right now. And so a lot of people are coming to these clinics. Carson's seen a lot of people come to his clinic dealing with a lot of issues over the past few months and last couple of years with COVID especially. So mm-hmm. I, I hope there's going to be more and more awareness on this, uh, about this area. Um, so this and, stuff and- coming up is one of the reasons that I really wanted to start talking publicly because I think that the resurgence of this, like, it's like, oh, this is this new area. And it's like, well, not exactly because we've been using these compounds for so long. We might have been using these compounds before we were, you know, quote unquote, human beings. I mean, one of the most fascinating theories I've ever heard is the stone to ape theory, which is mostly popularized by the ethnobotanist, um, but just general philosopher Terence McKenna, who in his mind, he he linked, I think, fairly logically, fairly rationally that the quote unquote missing link may have occurred due to psilocybin mushroom use. Um, and that would essentially be, I'll just give you the brief rundown and forgive me if this isn't exactly accurate. It's been a long time since I looked at the specifics of the stone date theory, <laughs> but essentially that as we were, let's say, quote unquote, coming down from the trees in a more primate, more typical, like what we think of as primate state and going into the grasslands, it was a very, good chance that there were you know, psilocybin mushrooms present in that area of the world at that time. And his general idea, his general thinking was that in low dosages, not only does psilocybin kind of enact like this, like horniness that's, that's palpable. And I've certainly experienced that myself. Um, but that it also seems to enact parts of the brain that are related to, and I don't know how related, but seemingly related to glossolalia, or I think that's how it's said. I've only read it, but uh, something around like glossolalia, uh, which is this general idea of like speaking in tongues. It's kind of like promoting a language pathway in the brain. It's kind of like poking that part of, of the human brain. So when you, when you translate that back into that time in the grasslands, you think about how useful it would be to suddenly have 
you know, random patterns that are not so random anymore in, in vocalization. And you could imagine that if a language started to develop in a ape that was actually a language and it was, it was more articulated than just grunts here and there, that there would be this massive leap forward in the cognitive ability of the species. And that, you know, the, the evolution in that, the, in the, 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 the apes that are doing that would then be very, very fast. So his, his theory was that. And so that's all just to say that we've, I really think have been using these for a long time. And, and we know from looking back, I mean, if you follow Brian Murarescu's work, Carl Ruck's work, you know, we continuously find deeper and deeper and further and further back in our uh, ancient history evidence very strong evidence of use of these psychedelic compounds. One of the things that I think that Murrow Rescue has done such a phenomenal job with, well, he's investigating mm. the, the Louisian mysteries, is that he is looking at Eleusinian, sorry, Eleusinian mysteries. Yes. Yep. Is that he's yep. he's looking at them with the ritual around it. Now to me that's essentially saying they're doing it in a similar way to what we're trying to do with therapy now. What we're trying to do with therapy now is we're setting up a routine and a ritual and a practice around here's how you prepare for this experience. Here's how you actually engage with the experience. And here's what you do after. And here's how, you know, we can kind of start to formulate our story around what's going on in this experience so that we can actually learn from it and that we can actually, you know, uh, create something from it that's that's very positive. Um, and specifically with the um, Eleusinian Mysteries, it seems as though some of the most powerful people in the world were engaging in these ergot rituals on a very regular basis, very purposefully, and in a way that was so, like, they, like the, 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 the threat, and I have talked to Jordan about this the other day, the thought, or the, the threat of death for if you spoke about what happened during the during the mysteries, if you if you engaged with them and you spoke about what happened, you would be put to death. And in certain ways, I actually think that that's not that big of a threat when you look at what happens when you're on LSD. If you would imagine that you're back in time and you're you're a, a ruler of a kingdom, and you really want to be a good ruler, right? Like life is not easy. You're not necessarily the most corrupt politician. You're trying to make it so that your family can survive and then the rest of your tribe can survive. You go into this, you take this substance that shows you God or shows you the insight that you need. It's, it's almost like the threat of, of letting that out would be more of a threat of your, your soul's existence. Like if that's, if that's how everything was set up, that you weren't supposed to talk about that, I think that the threat of death is actually not not that big. It's it, That's a little side tangent. Sorry. But it, it's more just to say that we've been using these for a very long time. But it seems that the further you look back, the more ritualized the behavior was. Now, not all the time, right? Because we see monkeys that drink alcohol and we see, you know, other, we see reindeer that eat Amanita muscaria, right? It's not, it's not all that, like, it doesn't have to be in a ritual the further you look back. But the further you look back, it seems that we, we, we have ritualized their use. Um, and another thing that in that vein that I want to continue investigating publicly and continue to talk to people about and, and try to figure out is 
the the work of John Marco Allegro, the Sacred Mushroom and the Cross, which you guys are not familiar with that. That is that is a book and a line of thought that is to me a, almost a psychedelic experience in and of itself looking through that book, which essentially posits that all of the Abrahamic tradition, all of our core culture that we now exist in actually started in Sumerian uh, rituals of mushroom use. And I guess I'll stop there. I, I, you said to process <laughs> out. You said to process out loud. So no, no, no. That, that was great. Loud. <laughs> that was great. You know, what? I, I'm glad my conservative Christian friends aren't listening to this right now. <laughs> I, I've talked. Yeah, I, I've talked to them about it, and there's it offends them very quickly. But well, thankfully, my my closest friends there, they happen to be very conservative and Christian. That they're very very open minded and have actually gotten into psychedelics recently because of me because of carson because of you and you know mm. all, all these things have a big ripple effect but uh mm-hmm. but, but but definitely when you start talking about religion specifically christianity and psychedelics um traditional christians are very offended b- by that whole idea and and not even offended but just the lack of evidence that they see on that part um yeah. and i've been closely investigated this so i can't really speak to it but it does seem somewhat of a fringe idea right even though yes the, the, yes the, absolutely even though the, the mirror rescue stuff on the uh, air god seems very compelling uh yeah and i wh- think the i think the argument that that allegro lays out from all that i can tell is pretty damn bulletproof and it's it's pretty damn rational um, but you'll have to read the book in order mm. to understand it really, because it is very, very complicated and it's very, it's very hard to articulate. It's very hard to understand. But if you spend time with that book, I, I, I haven't found a hole in it yet. And I've looked very deeply into it. I've looked very deeply into counter arguments of it. And so has Jordan and, and Jordan recommends that book as well as uh, Gordon Wasson's soma as two books that have essentially you know shaken his uh shaken his own framework in in how he looks at those those ancient religious uh texts and stories Hmm. one semi-tangential thought that i had when when you were talking about all of that which is which is another tangent of another tangent but but this is yeah 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 sorry this is awesome no 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 this is awesome but what one other another jump i'm going to make here is just like when you were talking about that i I was just thinking about indian spirituality and and i don't know if you agree with this broadly but i think many people would get behind um the argument that uh, india has given birth to the most comprehensive most rich most dynamic most exhaustive spiritual tradition you know when it comes Mm. to the yoga system uh meditation um, all the parts of Hinduism, and, and you could even include parts of Buddhism within that. But w- as I'm exploring right now more and more, and I don't know how familiar you are, Eric, with uh, Indian traditions, but um, a- as I'm exploring more and more, the, the understanding of, of enlightenment, of the ego, the illusion of the ego, of our thoughts and our ideas about ourselves, and destiny, free will, and our cravings, our desires, like it's, to me, it's most compellingly explained within the Indian framework, mm. which is, which is very, very broad. But 
Specifically, I'm looking at Advaita Vedanta, which is a non-dual Hindu philosophy, which uh, was uh, one of the um, schools of thought that Sam Harris explored very thoroughly uh, early on, which shaped his own practice and his own beliefs and his current uh, waking up meditation app. But upon going deeper into the Indian tradition, which again, I think has the the richest spiritual uh, tr- tradition, the richest kind of attempts at self-transcendence, uh, the most comprehensive practices at uh, dispelling the illusion of self. Well, when looking at all of that, uh, it is interesting that that seems to be almost entirely done without uh, psychedelics. Like there are other areas like the, the, the Amazonian region, um, certain parts of Africa, I've heard that there might be traces of this. And of course, the Eleusinian mysteries where we do have some very interesting and compelling evidence about psychedelic usage. But within India, there, there is a little bit with the, the Rig Veda. I don't know if you've heard about that, but that ancient text, mm-hmm. um, the, the, the Rig Veda was some kind of mushroom god. And, and many scholars speculate that that was uh, Amelita Muscaria which you already mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, don't know what, I don't know what to make of that or how fringe that is, but it's certainly not in any way central to Hinduism or Buddhism or, or any of that. But that, anyway, this is just kind of a thought that I was having, was that this spiritual system that India has kind of given birth to, that you know, so many people are doing yoga, meditation, all these different practices. Dr. Jordan Peterson does kundalini yoga every morning with his wife. Which mm-hmm. when, when, when I listened to it with my mom, my mom was like, what? White guy Jordan Peterson is doing kundalini <laughs> yoga? What? My, my mom does kundalini. And I, <laughs> I, I still find kundalini to be kind of strange and a little weird. And, and even I won't even touch it for reasons. But, but it was interesting to see Peterson talk about him doing it himself. Um, but but, but all, all that to say, like I was, that's kind of just what was going on in my mind as you were talking about psychedelic usage within religion. It's interesting how uh, the the greatest or the most rich spiritual tradition that, that the world has seen within India, what that's given us, um, psychedelics weren't uh, a, a big part of, of that at all. Yeah, well, I think that a lot of what you just described, I'm not, I mean, I'm probably more familiar with uh, Indian and, and just Eastern philosophy in general than your typical guy in the Midwest. I'm not, I'm nowhere near uh, any kind of expert or even really well versed in, in the subject, but I would say that 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 path towards transcendence is much different than the path towards transcendence in the Western religions, and, in, and more specifically in the Abrahamic tradition. I think the Abrahamic tradition more thoroughly places transcendence outside, um, which. Is yes. kind of comp- it's kind of complicated, and so like don't yes. hold me to that because I would really need a long time to explain what I mean by that. But that the well, uh, maybe I can interject quickly and just like sure. I, I've been reading, a, I've been reading a lot about this. I don't know if this is exactly what you're getting at, but but and and this is very complicated. And I'm I'm doing a lot of uh, independent studies right now at, at my university, and I have a great professor I'm working with one on one. And I'm studying um, East versus West Christianity and Hinduism and Buddhism mm. and, and all this mm. stuff. And the more I'm I get very into interested it, in hearing more about that. So keep me in the loop with yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. But the more I get into it, the more I realize I don't know, and the more the, the more complicated it is. And 
And for somebody to say this is Christianity versus this is Hinduism, in many cases, they're missing so much nuance within the traditions. Yes. This is something yes. I'm realizing more and more. So like Protestant Christianity, as I'm now realizing, is in many ways kind of fundamentally different from Orthodox Christianity or Anglican Christianity. Certainly, certainly. In terms of yep. what and in, in how they approach things. And, and I'm lucky enough that I have friends who are kind of on different sides and it's interesting to talk in in between them and you know you know one side is very much like anti-mystical experience and very mm-hmm. much about the bible is the word that's the more protestant side and then there's the anglican uh orthodox catholic side which is more open to mysticism and from what i can tell also more open to something a little more universal and experiential rather than this is what the text says and this is exactly how it is. Mm. Um, although even that seems like a bit of a generalization. But, well, I want to um, jump in there for a second. Sure, sure. At the yeah. beginning of this conversation, I, I talked about reframing the psychedelic experience to fit under this umbrella of the larger type of experience, which is just the super conscious or the ultra conscious experience. And it's funny because I agree, I've gone to a lot of Protestant christian churches and i agree they they really they really claim that they don't want to follow the mystical tradition or the mystical experience and yet at the same time almost every church service i've been to starts with 25 minutes of singing and worship and music and like closing your eyes and praying out loud and hands in the air and all this kind of stuff i mean maybe that's not in every protestant church but certainly that is an ultra conscious experience or a super conscious experience or a near psychedelic experience that they're searching for when they're doing that. And I, there's no way that you could convince me otherwise. And I, and, and it's so pervasive in that culture to say that anything outside, you know, that comes from outside is uh, somehow takes away from God. Cause I have had, multiple relationships ruined by that uh, sacred mushroom in the cross book that I brought up. But yet at the same time, I go to those, those religious services and I'm like, well, what are you guys doing right now? You, you're doing the exact same thing. You're, you're striving after the same thing. You're trying to have that insight to you. What that is specifically is you feel the music pulling you closer to God and you're talking with God and you're communing with God and God's speaking back with you and you're praying. It's like, well, yeah, man, that's, that's what I'm talking about too. That's what I'm talking Mm. about too. And I'm taking psilocybin mushrooms and I'm, I'm really deeply trying to understand my place in the world, trying to understand my relationship with, with God and with the universe, with, you know, whatever the creator of the universe is. I just find it. I just find it quite funny. So sorry to jump in with that. Yeah, I, no, no. I, I just find it quite funny. No, absolutely. But but I do think that there is this element, certainly within Protestant Christianity, that I've found, and I go to many services here locally, uh, many different churches that I've been to. Uh, one that I've kind of been sticking with, and I'm and I and I've realized its limitations, and so I'm not here to critique it or to. Um, misconstrue what's going on there but there's definitely not this there's there's definitely not an emphasis on experience it's it's very intellectual Mm -hmm. you know there's a sermon going on 
you know, even, even the music is, is really nice for like 20 minutes and I, and I love it. It really resonates with me deeply. Uh, but it's still very much about what the, what the Bible says and reading the scriptures, following the commandments. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Alan Watts has this uh, great quote. Um, are, are you an Alan Watts fan, by the way? Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Very much he, so. He's, he's, he's amazing. I've just been getting into him and it's just a treasure trove of knowledge. Carson mm-hmm. and I have talked about this too offline, but man, mm-hmm. fucking Alan Watts. All his recordings, by the way, for anybody interested, are beautifully uh, compiled and organized within Sam Harris's Waking Up app. Um, most, if not all of his recordings are there about Christianity, psychedelics, Buddhism, mysticism, all of it mm-hmm. for any, anybody to check out. Um, and, and, and credit to Sam, by the way, for, for taking that step and including that within the waking up experience. That's, it's really amazing. But one of the things that he says is like in, in many church services, there's all, there's all these things about uh, what you should do. There's, there's all these exhortations, commandments of what to do. Um, you know, you should love your neighbor. You should uh, be charitable. You should be altruistic. You should take care of your family. You should do this, this, and that, but there's not a lot of talk about how you should, which to, to some extent, um, n- not to say that the, the reading the scriptures and being told what you should do is not important. It's very important. But when it comes down to the matters of the psyche and of actually changing behavior, mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. taking action, like like you can tell a very depressed person, like, hey, you know, if you, like life is filled with joy and happiness and you should be, you know, you should get up early at 9 a.m. and you should go for a workout. You should journal. You should meditate. And I, I, I can attest to this personally. It's like, okay, that's what I should do, but I'm still like unable to do it. I'm still unable to not feel anxious or not feel depressed. I'm still unable to not feel that love for God. There's still a barrier that no matter how much scripture I read or how many church services or how many temple services I go to, it's still there. And so uh, Alan Watts rightfully says that a transformation of consciousness is necessary in order to have that more fundamental shift where you're not just looking out at a piece of paper and reading what Jesus said as amazing and profound as that is, but there has Mm -hmm. to be a deeper experience that goes beyond reading scripture rationally or beyond just attending a church service. There has to be a deeper uh, experience that kind of knocks you out of your feet and forces you to confront these things and, and psychedelics of course do an amazing job of introducing that kind of experience mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and i don't mean to be too critical on the protestant christians uh it, it probably sounded more critical than i meant to be i'm actually really happy that they do it i just find it pretty interesting that they that they they, they devalue that experience in anything other than not in anything other than but from the people that I've spoken with about it, other than that, that worship time during the church. And just to clear up so that nobody thinks that I'm too much of an asshole, I am an active member of a Protestant church, an official member of a Protestant church uh, in my hometown. So it, it is not like, a, I don't think that they're bad or anything like that. It, it's just an interesting hypocrisy that I wanted to, to point out. Yeah, yeah, that totally makes sense. And to, to close the loop earlier, the, I interjected you. You were talking about differences between uh, East and West. And, and one sort of broad uh, distinction to make here, which I'm realizing more and more is still very complex. And, you know, 
I could say this, and this could resonate more with Protestants than with the Orthodox side of things, but there's definitely this difference between uh, Hinduism and Christianity in that there is that more um, external kind of uh, God within Christianity that in the Protestant interpretation is more about you, you, you believe in Jesus, you take Jesus to be your savior, then he kind of comes in your heart. Um, the spirit of God comes within your heart. And even then, uh, God is separate from man. They're not one thing. They're, they're, they're very distinct. And, and mm -hmm. not to say that's good, that, that's not good or bad or whatever, but that's just the way the, the Protestants look at it. There's a big emphasis on belief, on commitment to that belief, and, yep. on yep. and on distinction between man and God. And now when I talk to very sophisticated people on the Orthodox and Anglican side of things, including my professor, he has a radically different perspective on that that aligns more with the Hindu perspective, actually, which I can uh, get into, which is more of a God is everything. Uh, you know, the, the, the Brahmin manifests itself everywhere. It's the the unitary substance or underlying foundation of this universe. God is the universe and it's within the hearts of everybody, no matter what they believe. And they can tap into that through meditation, yoga, prayer, mm -hmm. devotional practices. But, but Hinduism is very naturally universal. And so that's why, you know, many Hindus are comfortable bringing Jesus along for the Hindu experience and, yeah, and right, that, right. That, that kind of absorbing that into it. Because Brahman is in everything. So, mm -hmm. and Brahman just means God kind of essentially. But uh, unlike Christianity, where God is the creator and the king of the universe within uh, Hinduism, God is, God is you. You're it, as Alan Watts says when he talks mm -hmm. about Hinduism. You're it. Mm -hmm. that's, kind of, mm -hmm. that's kind of the idea. And it's to be found within you. And, and many Protestants sometimes misinterpret that as, um, thinking that that Hinduism kind of pumps the ego that if you th that if you think God is within you then you can go you can get away with so many things and that's certainly a danger but when rightfully understood it's not about yes, pumping up right. it's not about pumping up the ego it's about you know the the Brahmin within um, our true divine nature our true self is, is is beyond the ego it transcends the ego it transcends cravings sexual desire relationships and the illusion of multiplicity, which you, you've experienced a little bit within your uh, LSD experiences, the experience of oneness. That's how God is described within the Hindu tradition of when you experience the God within is when all distinctions collapse. And there's this one grand unified field of divinity. Th th that is God rather than um, uh, a distinction between God and man. And again, mm -hmm. not to say that, that one is right or the other, even though I generally am leaning towards the Hindu side of things, because that seems to align more with some of the psychedelic stuff and just my personal feelings about it. But that is a uh, an important distinction to make of of um, the differences between man and God and the presence of of God within man. How that varies between east and uh, east and west. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to speak out into the world as we were talking about before. A year from now, you and I should have this conversation again about this topic specifically because I lean more towards the Western Christian 
uh, ideal uh, than the Eastern in this. So I think we're, I think we're both pretty, pretty close to like, you know, really understanding the core concept and, uh, and, and, and whatnot of both sides. You lean more towards the Hindu. I lean more towards Christian. And I think that that would be a really, really great conversation. Um, and if I may yep. just going off of what you, you just said, I would like to bring this all back to the beginning of the conversation when we were talking about, um, you know, we were just giving context and my experience with the ant in subway. Yeah. So <laughs> I was, I was, I was on probably three or By four. Way, hits. Just, yeah. just one thing, just to set that up too, is when you were describing that ant experience, that is very similar to what many Hindu sages and yogis describe in their scriptures, what they're getting at. Right, right. Was right. what you were getting at with that ant experience, um, which, yep, which, you'll, that's what which, I, which you can go into. But that, but like when you said that, it's like, I, I read this in like part of the, Upa, the Upanishads or the Patanjali Yoga Sutras or whatever. It was very similar to that idea of oneness, which you can uh, describe. Yeah, right. What, right. And, and, and it's so, it's so funny that, well, I'll just, I'll tell the story and then I think it'll be obvious why it's funny, but. And, and I, also, uh, well, one thing I just, also just to set this up is as well, is when you're going to talk about this, you know, I've, I've actually told that story to other people as well, like okay. Protestant, Protestant Christian friends. Sure. And, and you're, yeah. and you, you've said you're Protestant as well. They, they when I talk, I'm to part them of a Protestant that, church. I'm an yeah. active member of a Protestant church. Right. Yeah. But when I when I've talked to Protestant Christian friends about your Ant story, like they're, it's so it cuts against everything that they think of, and <laughs> and 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 they and, and they probably think you're not actually Protestant, or if you are, you're yeah. some freestyling like hippie guy who thinks he yeah. is. But that's for sure. That's for sure. Correct. Yeah. 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 But but that's why because, I say I'm a member of the church. I go right, and I I appreciate it, and I I I yeah. really do love those people and their way of looking at the world. But I wouldn't say that I'm a Protestant necessarily. Right. Yeah. But anyway, I just wanted to, again, I just interjected you again, but I wanted to just set that, <laughs> set that up of what, of what your ant experience is like very much aligns with some things that are very central to Hinduism about oneness. And also what you're about to say, and I shouldn't cut you off more is, is very much anti or n not anti rather, but more, contrary to what many protestants believe so all, all that to set up what you're about to say and if that prompts any further reflection then go for it yeah and, and it does in that like i think i mean yeah i'm the hippie freewheeling or freewheeling you know type but at the same time i think there's and again this is for that larger conversation a year from now but I think there's part of the ritual, whether it includes the psychedelic or not, part of that mystic experience that's missing from that. I like, and, and I don't mean missing, I mean literally missing. I think it's, they are missing that part of what it means to be a Christian or what it means to follow the Abrahamic path. I, I, I really think that it's missing. Uh, from especially what I believe the ancient roots of the the Abrahamic tradition and even then the the Christian revolution on top of the Abrahamic tradition. But 
ant story. So I'm probably three or four hits, something like that, of LSD. And I was this, you know, touring musician, part of the hippie scene, yada, yada, yada. So I am at a, I'm having, actually, now that it's just coming up now, I'm, I'm realizing I'm having some gastric distress. And so I need to stop and use the restroom. I need to, uh, more specifically, I'm going to stop and, and I, I can feel that I'm about to have like diarrhea. And so I, I go into a subway and of course, like, I don't know what my interaction was like with the subway people, but I had some kind of interaction with them and I quickly scurry over, you know, I'm probably 18 at the time and I go to the bathroom and I'm sitting there relieving myself and I'm, I'm constantly throughout this trip struggling with what does it mean when they say we are all one? I don't get it. Like, I just don't understand that at all. I cannot comprehend what those hippies are getting at. And I look down in that moment as I'm deep in contemplation about what could that possibly mean? And there's an ant moving right in front of my feet. And I look at the ant and I realize the energy that is moving me is the same energy that exists in that ant that is moving that ant. And I don't really have a better way to articulate it than that, but it's I'm, that, I'm having goosebumps right now, man. Keep going. Okay. Well, that, it's that, I like it. That same energy is the thing that is driving me, that is driving that ant, that is driving us all. And that is God. That is the universe. That is us playing our sacred role in the dance and the play and the music that is life, that is the universe, that is the infinitude of existence itself. Dude, I'm fucking tripping right now, man. This is <laughs> fucking, this is really good. Um, not, not to like intellectualize this more and more, but that what you just said fully aligns with the Hindu conception of God moving through the universe, God being indistinguishable from the universe and really there being actually <clears throat> no spiritual or fundamental difference between you and the ant, you and the tree, me and you, we're actually one underneath it. We mm -hmm. look different. We're, we're separate entities. We're, we're, we're not next to each other. Probably because you smell bad, as you said. I don't want to be near you. Yeah. <laughs> if kidding. there's any women listening, I was joking. I smell fantastic. Yeah, you're a single man. You need to you need to be <laughs> do a better job of sounding attractive. Although your voice your voice does that. So I mean, it's you, got a lot, <laughs> you have a lot going for you. I think. And it's it's, it's funny actually. I'm not, I'm not going to say her name, obviously, but but during the trip when you called, uh, my guide there, female. She was like, who's Eric? Is he around here? Like, he seems like really interesting. Like, I'd want to explore him. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Well, I'll be in Vancouver <laughs> next week, Rav. <laughs> yeah, then, then me, you, and Carson can grab dinner and have a good conversation. That would yeah, be fantastic. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, just, just for you to know, in that conversation, it was just, oh, that was hilarious. That really <laughs> amped up the, uh, the, uh, levity of the situation but no what, what you just said um 
fully aligns with the Hindu view and and is very different from the the Christian view, of course, um, at least the Protestant Christian view, because their current Christian view. Sure, they're <laughs> again man, man is very different from God, and man is kind of on top of animals. Animals are of a lower existence. God mm-hmm. is a supreme being. Man looks mm-hmm. up to God um, for revelation, rather than uh, man sort of being immersed in God, regardless of if he believes in Jesus or not which is the mm-hmm. again the hindu idea god is the universe god is everything whether you're taking psychedelics you're you're you call yourself an atheist or you're you believe in jesus or not if you're worshiping hindu gods um god is the universe and it's within everybody regardless of belief and so you you can connect with the ant on a very deep level that would uh offend or s- strike as completely contrary to what a traditional Protestant Christian is, is going to think. And, and, and rightfully so. Not to say that they're necessarily narrow-minded, but that's just not their framework. Because again, right, God, is, right, right. God is separate from man. Man is separate from animal life. There, there isn't an underlying kind of spiritual unity of God that the Hindus believe in. And with, with my psychedelic experiences, and you'll see this more uh, if you guys read my article, I would say that for me, it's very possible that the Protestants are exactly correct. And that is exactly the way that God is. Um, and, and, you know, the, the Protestant perspective that you're giving right now, it's very possible that that's correct because anything's possible because we don't really know. Uh, we can't, we, we can hypothesize and we can, you know, uh, get any philosophy that we want, but it's, it's really, really, truly very hard to know um, if it's even possible for us to know if it's even within the realm of the wheelhouse of our conception right. or, our, or our perceptions to be able to discern anything like that. Maybe that has nothing to do with our purpose that we would be able to discern that. There is a weird element, though, where God is embodied in Jesus and 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 the son of God is also a man and that's critical that's crucial and it's like so that it's not accurate to say that god is above all else that's part of the christian revolution is that god was embodied and he was here embodied and that and that's critical and the fact that he dies and transcends from his physical body is also critically important it's all a part of it right so it's like it, there's there's a little it's a little weird when you when you start to look at that element of it and and it seems like a lot of the protestants that i've talked to about that they agree with that sentence but they don't agree with the sentiment that you're saying like from the from the hindu perspective it's like well but then why was god put here as a man why was that why did he have to be embodied um but again that's for the longer the longer conversation yeah yeah, and j- just to like briefly push back against um, the, the possibility even of the Protestants being right. Like, like my view is that anytime you claim absolute exclusivity to your tradition, that you have mm-hmm. to believe this mm-hmm. in order to experience God. Not that like you're evil if you don't. You know, Protestant Christians are very nice and very compassionate, loving people. But their view and is almost that- assuredly their intentions are correct. Right, like almost entirely, sure, their, sure. their intentions yes. are pure. So it's yes, 
Although even there, I, I have um, some friends who are maybe not Protestant traditionally, but not like Orthodox either. And they're more um, against the idea of exclusivity. But but definitely within the, the Protestant framework, that there is that exclusivity claim of you have to believe in Jesus. Jesus was, you know, Jesus is the only way that there is only one road to heaven. And if you don't believe that you're following the wrong way. And to me, that's just not um, overall a very um, universal view that really accounts for the diversity of humanity. Like, like whereas Hinduism does account for that and, Somebody mm-hmm. could, could be Protestant Christian, and from the Hindu perspective, yeah, you know, Jesus, hell yeah, come, come along for the ride, sure. Yeah, churches, mosques, temples. Not, not to say that all those things are like the same, and that Hinduism and Christianity are actually one thing. There's some of that going on too. Certain people believe that, which is very misleading. But, but within the Hindu framework, which is really just a, a universal framework, that there is one God, and we are all sons of God in, in some sense, not that we're all capable of what Jesus did, but what Jesus did was kind of the pinnacle of ultimate transcendence and that we are all capable of something like that, but mm-hmm. we're all driven by our egos. We're all sexually attached to things and we're so stuck in the material world um, and possessed by all these different things that we're not able to see our true kind of Jesus nature, our true Brahmin, our true mm-hmm. Atman, mm-hmm. our true divine nature. That, that's the Hindu mm-hmm. view where yeah. that cuts against everything Protestants would believe. Because again, for them, the belief is necessary and the belief is exclusive in their tradition. And so Hindus are not welcome. Buddhists, nope. They're all, they're, they're all sort of apart from God because they believe the wrong thing. Whereas in the Hindu view, everybody has God within them and they can experience that in in, in sometimes superficially or materially different ways, but it all boils down to the, the, um, the, 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 the Brahmin that is within, that is everywhere, that experience you had with the ant, the experience of oneness, that, that includes everybody and all, all beliefs. That includes Jesus and Buddha and whoever else you want um, along for the ride. So that, that's kind of a big difference. Yeah. And a little pushback there is that there are multiple passages within the New Testament that uh, you could argue, say that any, I mean, this is definitely paraphrasing, but you could argue that say that if, if God is not accessible to all, then it's not really God. There are multiple passages in, in the New Testament that you could argue, say that, and I've, I've had Christians argue that to me that if God is not accessible to all, that it's not really God. Um, so there's there's a lot of gray area with that as well. Mm. If God isn't accessible, if God is accessible to everybody, that's not really God. No, inaccessible. If, if there's anybody that oh. God is not accessible oh, okay. to, then, then that's not really God. And I've actually had Christians argue that back to me about the psychedelics in particular, because they'll say, well, there's a chance that the psychedelics are going to cause mental illness. And so you can't, so they say, you can't say that that is of God because that would mean that God's not accessible to them because it's driving them to mental illness. Therefore, it's not a pathway that's, that's available uh, for them to commune with God. Therefore, it's not God. 
because I've been having a lot of very difficult conversations. Uh, and actually, and Jordan and I have had very difficult conversations with a lot of different people exploring the idea of this is just the general sentiment. So like, there's so much nuance here, but is the psychedelic experience a pathway to God or is it the antichrist? Because the idea, or at least one of the ideas of the antichrist, so to speak, in, in a Christian tradition, is it something that is akin to God, almost impossible to tell the difference, and yet it's not God. And I've had a lot of Christians say, when I bring that up to them, they say, well, that's exactly what I mean. The psychedelics must be somewhere akin to, you know, this idea of the antichrist, which I don't know if I agree or, or don't agree with that because I mean we've we've been ex- exploring that for thousands of years with no you know concrete answer to it but that's uh yeah that's 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 quite complicated that's that's a very long uh nuanced discussion to even really truly broach the scratching of the surface of that yeah yeah for sure and and I will say that within even Protestant Christianity, I, I do know a few people who do have that view that you outlined of if God is, um, so, sorry, what were you say? You said you said it perfectly, but the idea that if God inaccessible, if God isn't right. available to everybody, um, then that's not really God. God is available to everybody, regardless right. of. But 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 I don't think they would even say like they wouldn't say God is available to everybody, regardless of belief. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Although, yeah, um, fair enough. But but this is what I was uh, just saying that my one of my good friends who, who's his name is Rob Boganovic. He he wrote a couple of pieces for my Substack. Very conservative Christian guy, very intelligent. But and he follows Protestant Christianity, but he's much more nuanced. He doesn't actually believe that. He thinks God is accessible to everybody, reg- not totally regardless of belief but that there are ways to get to heaven and to experience God outside of Christianity. He does believe that, mm. which is mm. a very contrarian Protestant perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He so, sounds like a hippie yeah. freewheeling type, type of, uh, well, <laughs> no, well, he, he's never done psychedelics. Yeah. He, yeah. I know he, he's never done psychedelics, super conservative. Um, it's, it's actually interesting to me how he's so open-minded about his Christianity, but that there is just so much nuance there that we can talk for hours yeah. and hours. Yeah, there's so but, much nuance, so much nuance. Is, is there anything else you do, you want to say to, to wrap this up? Um, anything yes. else on your, on your mind? Yeah, go for it, man. Absolutely. Uh, you know, psychedelics are one of the most important parts of my entire life. I haven't actually used a psychedelic. I haven't had an experience with an actual psychedelic in a very long time. Um, I've really felt like they showed me what they needed to show me back in the time that I needed to see it or hear it or feel it um, or think it. Um, and and it is in the therapy that I've done since that I've really been able to embody a lot of their lessons. Um, there are concerns. There are some dangers. So please, if you're, if you are already doing psychedelics or you're thinking about trying, you're thinking about starting, you're thinking about trying a different psychedelic, Please wade carefully. I'm not going to say don't go out on the adventure, but wade very carefully, 
not to say that like for sure something's going to go wrong, but it's like these are powerful, powerful tools. So please be careful. Tiptoe a little at first. Do it in the right way. Set and settings cr- critically important. Um, I really like the way that you are approaching it, Rav. You're doing it in a clinical setting. You're doing it with this goal of trying to find the insight of trying to utilize the tool and optimize the tool to the best of its ability so that you can truly become that better version of yourself, the person that you really want to be. And I think that that's a beautiful, wonderful thing. And I think that they can be such unique tools for that in that area. Um, The only, oh, and then uh, also you can buy tests for different substances, even not psychedelic. I'm not, I definitely don't suggest doing anything other than a psychedelic, Um, but you can buy tests for like $5. What I used to do when I would go to festivals when I was in the hippie scene is I would like order on Amazon, like a hundred tests for like, you know, 50 bucks. And I would just hand them out to everybody like, oh, you're going to take MDMA here, test it first, please test it first. Um, You know, some people are worried that like, oh, I'm not going to, I don't want to get like a, you know, an LSD test sent to my house if I'm going to do LSD. I understand that, but just please find a way to test it, especially if you're, you know, if you're not doing it in a clinical setting, especially, um, and especially if you're like, yeah, going to a party or anything like that, just please take it because, you know, back when I started uh, experimenting with these things, I for sure had been dosed with 2CI or 2CB a couple different times. I know of people that died from overdoses on, you know, these chemical substances that they thought were LSD or they thought were MDMA that ended up not being that. Um, just please test. Last thing, uh, yeah, well, other than well, saying well, oh, gosh, one thing as well, you, you just you just mentioned you you've done two CB before on accident, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I, okay. I there's a couple of different. Uh, there's a couple of differences, key differences, and I don't really remember what they are anymore. Um, I believe I had accidentally taken like 2CI or 2CB or something like that, thinking it was LSD. Um, and then I, forever since then, I've tested very carefully because that was not, it was not a good time and it didn't feel good the whole time. And mm. I, I knew it was the chemical that was inside of me. It wasn't, I wasn't working through something. It was like, this was, this was something else. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking into doing, 2CB myself because of the okay. therapeutic potential of it. I don't know how much you know about it, but, but I don't know of any. Yeah, I don't know of any. Two, well, but 2CB was recommended be... to me. Carson and I have talked about this briefly, but okay, but, but 2C, okay, but but 2CB is um, uh, much milder than MDMA and uh, LSD, and and some people say kind of like a cross between two, but much more okay. on, on kind of, just like a milder MDMA experience much safer much less um uh, impactful on the body so from what i've heard it's it's a better alternative if you're looking sure. into psychedelics but, and i yeah. could definitely be miscategorizing that and you know i maybe i'd heard that phrase that phrase back then or that word back then that name um and attached it to that i could be completely wrong about that i didn't test it so i don't know what the what it was but it definitely didn't i don't think it was i'm actually i'm 99.9 percent sure it wasn't lsd but if i but i didn't know that about 2cb and that goes into the last thing that i wanted to say other than thank you for having me rap is that uh if you're listening to this uh you can reach out to me it's either eric eric at upfiredigital.com 
You can reach out on Twitter, which is a new Twitter account that I just made. I think it's Eric Foster Real that's attached to this call-in. Uh, or Instagram, Real Eric Foster. Um, if anything that I said is wrong, please tell me. Please, please, please tell me. I really, my goal here is to search for and expand upon the truth in every way. So like, please, I'm totally not perfect. I definitely have faults. I have faults in my thinking. I have faults in my research. I have faults in my own experiences. So please tell me because mm. to me, the truth is the most important thing. That is what is going to continue as it has to lift humanity away from suffering and away from a lot of the things that we're seeing in the world right now specifically, but just overall, just lifting suffering away. Um, so, so please reach out, tell me that I'm wrong. I will very happily <laughs> listen to you and, and we can even discuss it if you'd like. So Eric mm. at upfiredigital.com, which is my podcasting agency. Uh, we're a little bit more than that now, but podcasting agency, Eric Foster real on Twitter, real Eric Foster on Instagram. Rap, thank you so much for having me. I really, as always, loved the conversation. Mm. Beautifully put, my friend. That was amazing. It was great talking to you and love the intellectual humility. I think more people need to be like that, especially in our political discourse and with certain recent tragic events where we're seeing so much uh, arrogance in terms of what mm -hmm. people think they know about certain things. Um, so I really like how you're setting up the example. And we're going to continue this conversation more and more. We're going to publish your article um, and to talk more about your psychedelic experiences, have Carson back into the fold to mm -hmm. help understand what you've been through and how it impacts you today. And um, uh, I was going to say something else. Yeah, we'll just look forward to your uh, article coming out in the future. Um and uh, there's one thing I was going to tee up, but it's freaking escaping me right now because it's too late. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, th I think this was a really good conversation. And uh, when you're in Vancouver, um, if you and Peterson are here, definitely we can uh, link up and potentially if Peterson is interested in, ex in looking at what uh, Thrive Downtown is doing as well and Carson's mm -hmm. work. I, th I think um, mm -hmm. that would be because I know Peterson is very open-minded about it. I think uh, more like this kind of work needs more and more amplification. So I look forward yes. to, to, to writing about it more, giving the spotlight on this more because a lot of people need help. A lot of people need to really fully have the human experience in the short time that we're here. Um, so, and I think psychedelics provide the perfect opportunity to do that. So clinics like Thrive Downtown are doing uh, amazing work. So yeah, it, it was, it was great talking to you. Um, and we'll uh, catch up soon. Yes. Likewise, my friend. Thank you so All much. Right. Have a good night. You too. Bye. And sorry, everybody. I know there were a few callers who wanted to chime in. I was trying to keep somewhat of a focus in this conversation, even though it was very unfocused and I, and I love that. And it was great, but adding more callers that would have just made it even more, uh, possibly confusing to follow. So I decided to, to opt out of that, but, uh, but definitely in the future, I'll be taking more calls. All right. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Rap. All right. Bye-bye, everybody.